0: something horrible in british
1: that was jezebel.com
0: now you are singing my tune
1: come to a cocktail party at my house we'll have such fun welcome to the palm court i'm kelly anakin and i'm tom schneider let's go shopping
0: (laughs) yes let's
1: let's do it all right this is mm mm-hmm. Supersized Super-sized... Look out. ...double-header episode. That's right. So, like, we don't know what's going to happen. I might have to eat some cheese. <laughs> um, we might have to get up and down... Yeah. ...to go to the bathroom.
0: I mean... We'll edit- probably
1: edit that out, but we might not.
0: Yeah. It's a service from us to you. hmm You get the full behind-the-scenes experience
1: (laughs) Uh, behind the
0: microphones.
1: So that is happening. Also be aware, uh, we're going to take a two-week break before Mm -hmm. we launch uh, Family Meeting, the Peaky Blinders podcast, which is very exciting. It is very exciting. Tell all of your friends. Please do. Please do. We're (laughs) not kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we'll be doing that. That will kick off. Let me look at a calendar. See, I'm looking at a calendar. That almost never happens. That's right. During this. Some hot Uh,
0: calendar action in this podcast. Yeah,
1: so we're looking at June the 7th. Okay. uh, A day that will probably not live in infamy. No. I would think. Right.
0: That would be December the 7th. Yes. And then, Lest we forget.
1: June the 6th is uh, VE Day. Or is it? No, that's D-Day. What? Your D-Day. When's (laughs) VE Day?
0: I don't know. It it just happened, I think. It was just the uh, 70th anniversary of it. Wait, you
1: know who's not going to give a shit about that? Who? Our kids.
0: (laughs) That's true.
1: (laughs) He'll be like, he fought in some war with Germany. You know, the guys from soccer. (laughs) It's a reference to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, in case you weren't aware. (laughs) Uh, All right. So, you're up to speed on what's happening in our lives. Right. I mean, as far as this podcast is concerned, (laughs) boundaries are important. Yeah. uh yeah so that brings us to our Ellen Love Letter for the week the mm-hmm. last one of uh the Palm Courts you know inaugural flight <laughs> that's right as it were This comes from customer Amanda. Hi, Tom and Kelly. While it really shouldn't have surprised me, I had never thought about cocaine in the trenches. (laughs) Being the nerd that I am, I had to do a little research that I wanted to share with you guys. Also, I know Kelly did a drug-infused fashion backwards on the topic back when you were recapping series one, so hopefully none of this is repetitive of what you already know.
0: Well, let us assure you, we don't recall season one at all. Uh,
1: Although I'm pretty sure I didn't get this detail, so well done, Amanda. All right. When World War I began, the only regulation in place was the Poisons and Pharmacy Act of 1908, which stipulated that pharmacists had to be introduced to prospective buyers by someone known to them and record the names and addresses of the buyer in the Poisons Register. In short, there were essentially no restrictions on the possession and use of cocaine, so at the outbreak of the war, many retailers began selling cocaine in medical kits for soldiers at the front. In early 1916, Harrods was selling a kit described as a welcome present for friends at the front that contained cocaine, morphine, syringes, and needles. I bet it was welcome. (laughs) Yeah. I want one. (laughs) Sadly, I wasn't able to find anything on whether Selfridge sold these packages as well. Assessing the actual severity of the problem is difficult because even if you look at records for casualties based on other poisons and intoxications, these numbers included casualties from the involuntary ingestion of harmful substances on active service, e.g. heavy metals that entered food and water supplies or engines and stoves gave off carbon monoxide. Nevertheless, moral panic reached a tipping point in early 1916 with a widely publicized trial that led to the conviction of Horace Dennis Kingsley and Rose Edwards for selling cocaine on three separate occasions to Canadian troops in Folkestone. During the trial, it emerged that 40 men in a local camp had developed a drug habit. The pair was sentenced to six months hard labor. Shortly thereafter, the well-known pharmacists, Savory and Moore, who made up the kits sold in Harrods and other department stores, were fined for selling cocaine and morphine to one individual without an introduction and without obtaining his address. Harrods were also fined on the same charge. This effectively ended over-the-counter sales. On May 11th, 1916, the Army Council enacted Regulation 40B under the Defense of the Realm Act, uh, Defense of the Uh, Realm Act, yep to ban the sale of cocaine, opium, Indian hemp, cannabis, and other psychoactive drugs to to troops without a prescription. Calls for controls on civilian possession grew, and on July 28, 1916, the provisions of Defense of the Realm Act 40B were widened to criminalize the possession of cocaine and opium by anyone not connected with the medical or veterinary professions and stipulated that the drugs could only be dispensed to patients, whether military or civilian, on exhibition of a non-reusable prescription signed by their doctors. After the war, the subsequent Dangerous Drugs Act of 1920 retained most of the provisions of Defense of the Realm Act 40B, but the new legislation was more broadly aimed at bringing Britain into line with restrictions on the international opium trade demanded by the Versailles Peace Conference. And that's it for me. I look forward to listening to your next cast. Best, your loyal cousin and customer, Amanda. Very interesting stuff.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, and I would think that selfridges probably did stock these things.
0: You would think that, although Harrods did get fined for it. So maybe they you know But
1: if they weren't uh a plaintiff in that particular case, they could have just been like, Oh hey, <laughs> right. this is a problem. Let's unload this, you know, on all these, you know, veterans who need something to do.
0: Right. Or be like, Hey, fat Thomas, uh you want any cocaine? Yeah. <laughs> I hear you sell it in your club.
1: No, I think it is really interesting.
0: Uh, well, one thing I'll say is that I like that the cocaine and opium were banned except for people in the medical or veterinary profession. Oh, yeah. Well, you it's never
1: like, know when a, you know, a cat needs <coughs> to chase the dragon.
0: Well, sir, your horse has gone lame. I recommend opium.
1: Listen, opium's great. <laughs> I'll tell anybody who's willing to listen that opium's <laughs> freaking amazing, and it's good that it's hard to get. Yeah. Because... We'd be living a very different life.
0: This is Kelly for the National Opium Council.
1: It's awesome.
0: <laughs> opium. It's awesome.
1: It is awesome. <laughs> Cousins, have you ever used opium? <laughs> Do you think it's awesome? If so, we want to hear your story. We won't tell the cops. We
0: promise. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I myself am not. I majored in computer science and not theater. Thus, I have had different experiences.
1: You never had opium? no oh really that's too bad for you
0: <laughs> uh yes and no I it think. tastes like fruity pebbles that's what i've heard mm, from you so
1: good i know i'm really the only person you know that's done opium yeah <sighs> ah youth <laughs> what i did for drugs <laughs> uh stay in school though <laughs> You did. You graduated. I know. You can stay in school and do drugs. <laughs> no, I do like, actually, that the Defense of the Realm Act basically acted in the same way that, like, medical marijuana acts mm. in states that, act, you know, enact yeah. a medical marijuana license. Yeah, that's true. License. It's like, okay, well, just get this bullshit thing. Like,
0: if you really want to, you still can Yeah. Pretty but much. But,
1: like, we can't be just having just, it around. Yeah.
0: Just, like, pretend you've got a reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, and that's- Give me one reason to do drugs. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's the beauty of the defense of the Realm Act, too, was it basically just said uh, the government can do whatever they want, the end. Yeah. And they just used it for whatever they felt like it's using it. It's basically
1: the same concept as an absolute monarchy. Yeah. Just with a parliament instead. Yeah. So it like, kind of slows you down, but like not that much. Right, right. Not when it came to opium.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, we're we're whipping opium. That's our plan. Yeah.
1: Okay. Anyway, that's enough about opium. Fine What are you I'm the one who likes it No you're right I'm being an adult here It's, it's
0: actually very much enough About Opium Yeah Which doesn't is. even enter Into this uh, two part Season finale It really so. doesn't
1: at all Yeah But it does enter Into Peaky Blinders
0: Which oh yeah, Which will be
1: podcasting About family meeting A Peaky Blinders podcast Premiering June 7th That's right Yeah so keep that in mind I know we already <laughs> said it but I
0: know but we can't say it enough I
1: hear that repetition Is important No I
0: think it actually in is In advertising Yeah
1: In advertising <laughs> In advertising Right Okay, so uh if you do want to send us a telegram, uh it's up yours downstairs at gmail.com if you'd like to tweet at us. It is at palm court cast. And on Facebook, just search Up Yours Downstairs exclamation point. We are around. Right. All right.
0: We have no idea if the exclamation point is necessary.
1: It probably isn't, but I like to say it. Oh yeah. There's not enough exclamation points in this world, Tom. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially
0: spoken aloud.
1: I know. So
0: Harry announces to the heads of department that he wanted them to see the warehouse where he put all the extra stock they'll be selling. Uh, they are standing in said warehouse. Crabb announces that Britain at Play was just the first part of a strategy that he definitely knew the whole part of from the beginning. Uh, he says they've got attention and now they will capitalize on it by putting on sales in every department. Harry says that he has made a promise to their shareholders and they need to make a lot of profit quickly. Mustache says that their press campaign has begun with a robust, some might say aggressive, wording. Kitty asks how much they have to sell. Harry says all of it and adds that it'll be the sale of the century, as the camera pulls back dramatically to reveal the huge warehouse.
1: One lucky customer gets the Ark of the Covenant.
0: They'll be happy with that. They
1: will. (laughs) Well... It depends (laughs) on if they're, like, pure of heart or whatever, man. Right. You better hope there's no nascent uh, national socialists running around.
0: Yeah, some thugs in brown shirts. Yep. (laughs)
1: Look out, everyone. (laughs) At Homely House, the Homely Architect goes through some blueprints, and Gerard walks in and asks if she's working evenings now. The Homely Architect, smooth, professional con artist (laughs) that she is, gets all nervous because she's wearing Harry's engagement ring. She's such a bad con artist. She's
0: terrible at it. She is
1: the worst con artist ever. Yeah.
0: This this season should be titled The Tales of the Homely Architect, Terrible Con Artist.
1: She's just so inept. Right. Like, she's been... Anyway, it's absurd. Yeah. She says that she has a business meeting with Harry later and asks what's in Gerard's suitcase while pulling the ring off completely conspicuously, I might add. Yeah gerard says he was hoping to crash on the couch because he's out of money the homely architect pulls some cash out of a box and drops the ring into the box and tells him to book a room for the night gerard asks if she can't dip into the sulfur to state account but she says they'll stick to the plan and take it all out at once gerard asks why she's having a business meeting so late and the homely architect says that now that they're not together that she has to take whatever time harry has available and choose him out then, after this narrow escape, she presumably goes to find a better hiding place for the engagement ring. I
0: would think so, Like after such a close call. Yeah,
1: like, you don't want to leave a thing that you don't want someone to see in a place where it could be found. Right. So, Just pretty basic. Yeah, pretty yeah. standard. So
0: we can take that for granted. Like, for
1: example, if you had opium. <laughs> right. And you didn't want anybody else to find it, but somebody was like, oh... You know, they walked in and you had the opium. Like hide it somewhere where they wouldn't go. Yeah, do that. Right. bury it in a small hole in the backyard if necessary. <laughs>
0: Possibly. Do just, what you need to do. Just put it in your underwear drawer, for God's sake. I mean, yeah. you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Any drawer, really? <laughs> yeah, any drawer. At any all. drawer would be acceptable. Any drawer that is specifically yours.
0: Right. She'd probably end up putting it in his drawer. <laughs> At Selfridge House, Fraser angrily informs some guy that there is no Olga Pushkin living there. The guy says that the box arrived at the Russian embassy with instructions to deliver it to that address, and heads out, as Fraser says that there must be some mistake. Wizwaz comes by and asks what's up. Fraser explains, and Wizwaz gets very excited. So cut to Wizwaz in some other room, pulling all the clothes out of the box. Sergey asks what she's doing, as Wizwaz rips open the lining at the bottom, Revealing a box, which she opens with a key that she wears around her neck. Apparently has been the whole time. And it's the jewels. So, way to fucking go, Olga.
1: Yeah. We're being sarcastic. Yeah. Like... You could have uh, put those, you know, to use in the motherland, comrade. That's
0: right. You're going to need to bribe a commissar at some point.
1: I'm also really surprised that, like, the Russian embassy didn't, like, catch wise to this, right? Because it's like, hey, Wizwaz Olga, do you think you're the first people to try this (laughs) shipping jewels out of Russia scam? Yeah,
0: they're like, well, if our Bolshevik masters have taught us anything, it's always forward luggage onto emigres that we uh, chased out of the country and the
1: private. Property is an inalienable right. <laughs>
0: That's right. If our <laughs> revolution was founded on anything, it's protecting rich people's clothing. Yes, definitely. <sighs> anyway, Wizwaz says that she never thought she'd see the jewels again, which we agree with. Yes, uh, and that this changes everything. Sergey can build his plane now. Uh, Sergey says that he's busy with Sibby, but Wizwaz says she can keep working with him, but she's going to sell some of these jewels to make Sergey's dream come through. He shakes his head, but she says that all through the tear, Sergey was the one thing that kept her going, and now they control their destiny, and they hug.
1: I feel like we are meant to have some sort of emotional reaction to this, but they've both been set up as such morally reprehensible people that this... What is clearly a win for them? I don't care. Right.
0: It's now acting as if we're supposed to have been finding them sympathetic this whole time,
1: which we have not—not
0: not at all. As no.
1: you, the listeners of this <laughs> podcast, are well aware.
0: Right. So it's just weird in that way. It is
1: really weird. Yeah. Um. But whatever. I guess Sergei gets to build this stupid plane finally. Right. The plane, which is how the homely architect got her claws into Harry in the first place. If oh, you yeah, recall, that's true. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, (laughs) the homely architect answers the door at homely house and tells Harry she thought he wasn't coming. He kisses her and says nothing could keep him away. Inside, the homely architect embraces Harry, but he notices she's not wearing the ring and asks if she's changed her mind. She says no, but wearing the ring makes it harder to haggle. Yeah. Which I don't think that's true
0: i don't think that's true honestly either.
1: my engagement ring has like ended more arguments before they start <laughs> than i can count right you know what i'm saying yeah like as far as that's concerned
0: right and you would think i mean harry's done a fair amount of haggling in his time yeah think well, well have and an when idea, people but... think a
1: man owns you they give you way less bullshit now harry suggests wearing it when they make an announcement because it might then increase her buying power as she would be seen as the property of harry selfridge oh, right the homely architect says that she'd like to keep it to themselves, at least until building starts. Besides, she needs time to get used to the idea. It's a lot to take in. And she, again, terrible con artist. <laughs> Harry says that she needs an office and to come to the store the next day. The homely architect accepts.
0: In Fat Thomas's office, haircut brushes off Fat Thomas's suit jacket as he adjusts his tie. Fat Thomas says, let's make this work and offers his arm. They head into the main room, which is now set up as a casino, uh, but sadly not a very crowded one at the moment. Regan walks up to them and says that he did what he promised, implying that Fat Thomas clearly is not doing so. Fat Thomas says that they can't exactly advertise, but he's put the word out, and Rome wasn't built in a day. Regan says, I'm not bankrolling Rome, and walks off.
1: Have you considered it? It's uh, <laughs> a moderately successful show for HBO.
0: That's true. And it really could have used another season. It really could it, have. It could have used uh, uh, some...
1: At least one. It
0: could have used some illegal crime syndicate money to keep it going. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I'm a little bit curious about the like how the legalities of this works. Because, I mean, it seems to be clearly illegal, but they're just sending out... Letters to random rich people. Maybe you
1: just need a Baccarat prescription according to the terms of the Defense of the Realm Act.
0: From your veterinarian.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this horse requires gambling. It needs a thrill. <laughs> At Selfridges, there are banners saying sale and crowds gathered at the windows. God, these people need TV so much. (laughs) It's kind of breaking my heart how excited they are. Like, you know, in all my years of retail, (laughs) even on like Black Friday, (laughs) was anybody this excited?
0: Look, man, Mabel Norman said, let's go shopping. And they've been following her advice ever since. It's a good point.
1: (laughs) The doors open and people stream in. Various boxes are handed to various customers, uh, including by a male salesman. Which
0: we've basically never seen. Yeah. So it was just interesting.
1: Well, there have to be more of them. Like, we never see, like, menswear, for example. Right.
0: That's true. I mean,
1: I'm not super complaining. I yeah. I think men yeah. deserve to be erased more often than they are.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, in stories. Yeah. So I'm not super worried about it. Right. But, like, we've seen the men in the loading bay. Yeah. But presumably they're in, like, you know, sports, uh... Things. sporting goods yeah sporting goods yeah. and menswear probably they have like a pharmacy don't they
0: uh, probably they, they said
1: that they did because they that was where the cosmetics would have gone oh, right until right. they yeah. radically put them at the front of the store
0: yeah and like watches and things yeah you know.
1: Kitty congratulates one woman for buying her Christmas presents in advance, which is a pretty standard retail thing to do. <laughs> uh, Bobbin asks how long they have to keep this up for. Kitty says to just keep going uh, without adding you big baby. Right. Like, listen, retail's a fucking war, Bobbin. Yeah. Get your shit together. Get your kit in order <laughs> and stop complaining. Right. Get your cocaine on. <laughs> Let's make this happen uh gary oldman who i forgot he was a thing i keep forgetting about him yeah
0: i and i wish he'd been more of a thing really yeah, like
1: kind of well
0: i just i just miss there being more about displays but i guess that's over yeah, now. yeah
1: but i also think that like if we got more gary oldman we'd get more new new gordon being an idiot well that's and i kind of in that capacity that ju-
0: yeah you're right it would have just been recapitulating the whole Leclerc exactly. Keebler thing yeah that was no fun
1: Uh, Anyway, so he brings some boxes to Fake Doris, who says that they'll need more than that. But he says customers keep moving things and he can't keep up. Fake Doris snaps to get on with it, which is great. Nunu Gordon walks up and asks if he can help. Fake Doris says it's under control. Gary Oldman walks off and so does Nunu Gordon. Fake Doris sighs.
0: Yeah. And Gary Oldman gives a little, like, French look to Nunu Gordon. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which Nunu Gordon doesn't understand because, as we know, he does not speak French. (laughs) Or understand nuance or innuendo of any kind. Yes. Hello, I'm Nunu Gordon. Uh, What I see is what I understand.
0: (laughs) Harry and Crab are still standing by the front door. And Harry asks Crab how many customers have come through. Some guy hands Crab a book. And Crab reports that traffic is up five times over the previous week.
1: I have to say hats off to these people because they have to manually track traffic and conversion rates yeah and that is a bitch mm-hmm. like even like when we would do that when i worked in retail i mean you know we had a machine right that would track in and out mm-hmm. so it wasn't too hard to do but like this is i mean there has to be somebody stationed at the door yeah and ticking off every single time somebody comes in
0: yep yeah harry tells grove that he wants a till report from every department at noon and he walks off
1: which is also going to be very difficult for them yeah. because they are all, like, madly, madly busy. Right. And that, you know, that would happen, too. Like, yeah. you know, people want to know what you've done, but you're like, I have to take time out of helping customers to, like, do this. Yeah. And anyway, there's never enough payroll and there <laughs> should be a union. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they
0: they tried that, but George fought them off, as I recall. Oh,
1: yeah, they did. <laughs> was it George?
0: He was involved. Didn't he get punched at some point?
1: No, Nunu Gordon was down there. Oh, that's it what it was. It Nunu was Nunu Gordon and those two guys.
0: It was, yeah, it was new Gordon. Oh, yeah. right. It was
1: new Gordon. Good Lord. <laughs> How many Gordons do we have to go through? <laughs> was he going to have a soul patch next year? <laughs> Some old Baldy is in Harry's office. Uh, Harry walks in and says he thought he'd see Sir Robert today. Uh, however, we don't care if he's Sir Robert, we shall call him Baldy. Yes. He Sir Baldy, if he pressed. He looks
0: kind of like a starving uh, Geno Slint from Game of Thrones. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Baldy says that they have always maintained a gentleman's code of conduct, and they would never spring a random sale at Swan and Edgar.
0: Which is a real store, uh, although I I don't believe Sir Robert is a real person. Well, did you look
1: up his real name, (laughs) Baldy?
0: No, I should have.
1: Due diligence, Tom. (laughs) Due diligence. (laughs) Harry says there's nothing to stop them, and Baldy says his ads are unashamedly huckstering, reading, buy now while goods are still in stock, which... Did you not see that play? A series one with Horace Spendrich.
0: Yeah, when Uh, Horace Spendrich puts on a sale, he's
1: been an unashamed huckster the whole time. Yeah, I'm sorry you're having a sixth sense moment here, but that's what's going on. I
0: kind of want to go back and watch that play now.
1: I do too. We can do it later, maybe so after we're done with this and after I've eaten more cheese. He adds that it is now difficult for the other stores to get hold of any stock since Harry's bought it up. Harry says, uh, so you would compete if you could mm-hmm. and doubts that Baldy will say that to his friends in the press. Harry assumes that Baldy is responsible for all of the negative editorials that morning. It just kills me that at this again there was so little going on the (laughs) only think pieces that there were were like is this shameful behavior for a local retailer (laughs) I'll pundit sound off (laughs) like that's it that's all you have like that was jezebel.com right (laughs) Uh, baldy says that that's only the start of the negative press and harry's board will hear about this groups within the city find harry's ads aggressive and scaremongering I am baffled as to what scare he could be mongering. Right. Like, the World War ended. (laughs) Shouldn't you all fucking chillax?
0: Like, it's not like his ads say, you know, buy now or we'll go to war again.
1: Or buy now or we'll kill your children. (laughs) Right. He's just saying, buy my shit because (laughs) it is the only thing that makes you feel alive. Which is the basis of retail. Yeah. So if this guy wants to come in here and tell Harry that the world's like fourth oldest profession is not okay anymore. Right. Well, then he can just go bald himself. (laughs) Anyway, Harry says that this is business and that the tactics can be rough and his board, like Baldy's, is only interested in one thing, which is profit, mm-hmm. which is true. And I am continually surprised and maybe it's a consequence of the um, like the class system and yeah. the peerage and everything. But they are always like, oh, like, that's not gentlemanly. Like, whereas in the United States, people are like, I will fucking kill you. Right. Like, that's our baseline for starting <laughs> doing business. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, it is the class system because the whole point was that, you know, the definition of a gentleman is somebody that doesn't work for money. Mm-hmm. You know, period. Like, that's- Well, was-
1: and let's not forget that when Selfridge is opened, part of their challenge was that the, you know, genteel classes thought it was vulgar to go shop in public.
0: Right. Right. Uh, at Lizard House, <laughs> Loxley takes off his tie while reading the paper, uh, which is seemingly innocuous, but the camera is very tilted and ominous music is playing. Loxley calls for Burton as he flips through, but then a headline grabs his attention. Lady May to Wed again in Paris. Uh, it's a brief announcement. It says that the date is set for September 13th, 1919, and is expected to be a lavish affair. And then the last sentence is, it has not been reported whether former husband, Lord Loxley, has, and then some text that's cut off, the ceremony. (laughs) So, that's in the, uh, that's in the announcement, huh?
1: This is literally my favorite thing that this dumb show has ever done. Like, what?
0: Is that standard with marriage announcements? Oh, my God. Also,
1: what the hell is Loxley's lawyer doing these days? <laughs> right. Isn't it his job to stay abreast of these things?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Also, shouldn't the paper, if you say it has not been reported, shouldn't you have reached out to him for comment?
1: No. Nope. <laughs> They didn't want to interrupt his very important work raising funds for veteran rapists. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: So many have abandoned our brave rapists in this crucial time. (laughs) So, um, Loxley is furious and he rips his tie and collar off and hurls them to the ground while saying, bitch. Uh, And then he picks up his drink, sits down, and tops up his drink.
1: So, that was like... You know, production values by American Horror Story.
0: (laughs) It was. It was very similar.
1: Oh, man. That just tickles me. Yeah. That's amazing. So uh, I guess Lady May's getting married again, though. Yeah, which is great. And that's encouraging. Yeah. I hope she likes this person better. (laughs) Me too. I hope he's not like a jerk that's going to hit her or anything. Right. I couldn't handle going through that again.
0: I hope she's not thrown off by the fact that he's French and like, you know, sees through if there's anything to see through. Yeah,
1: that's true. Well, we'll see. At Martle House, Martle tells George about the article calling Selfridge's sale unpublic spirited and accuses them of encouraging people to be spendthrift. George gets up from the table and hands Miss Martle a bunny for Shame Baby. He says Shame Baby must be missing it. Miss Martle asks if George is missing Shame Baby itself. <laughs> and George says that he was playing at Happy Families for a while with Agnes gone. I'm like, you've never had a happy family. No. So you really were playing. Yeah. Miss Martle says she's sure that Mr. Grove could find him a position, should she ask him. Uh, yes, and while she's at it, where is the homely porter? Right. What happened to her? We
0: were promised.
1: We were certainly sort of like, yeah. Teased.
0: Yeah, and with then, her,
1: and then never again. Yeah, we
0: were told that women were being hired that had been in the loading bay to be in store security, and then nothing.
1: Yeah ridiculous it's outrageous george thinks it's best to start over eh, wrong <laughs> Fortunately, marl knows that and she says that she'll ask anyway and then george can make a decision himself right
0: yeah i mean who are, you need somebody that already knows you because otherwise your story is well i quit my last two jobs abruptly for no clear reason mm-hmm. yeah uh, give me a shot at loxley house loxley walks into his dining room and greets those two muggles he's been using that are on the board uh, he asks if they've seen the editorial and Muggle 1. That's the older one for your reference here. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, he says it's sour grapes and asks if they should care about it. Loxley says that they shouldn't as long as Harry shifts his warehouse of merchandise. Muggle 1 asks what warehouse and Loxley explains. Muggle 2 says that that is a huge gamble. And Loxley says that Harry has a history of gambling, but never with his own store. Uh, he says that despite Harry not consulting them, they should make a show of support. Muggle 2 doesn't want to support something that will lose him money, so Loxley suggests that he, Loxley, go see Crab and ask to inspect the figures, and the Muggles agree to this How plan. How
1: did he find out about the warehouse?
0: Uh, Burton told him. Mm. He's running a whole intelligence network.
1: Miss <laughs> Myrtle knocks on Mr. Grove's door, he is told to come. <laughs> Ugh disgusting yeah she does and hands him the bunny he takes it and thanks her miss martle starts to leave but turns back and says she was hoping to speak to mr grove about george as he's looking for a job mr grove says he'll get back to her miss martle says thank you and leaves smiling once she's out the door never let grove make you smile woman yeah
0: bound for trouble in some workshop a guy tells the homely architect that he can't do roof struts for less than 30 shillings each Homely architect says it was twenty five on his estimate, but the guy says that the price of timber goes up every day, and she has to toughen up. The homely architect asks if a gentleman 's agreement means anything anymore as Harry walks up and tells the guy that they have that he has already paid for the timber, uh, so you know don 't jerk him around. The guy says that he didn 't know the homely architect was with Harry. Harry asks what's the difference, and the guy says prices aren't the same for everyone. Harry says that in his store they are. Well, except for his floozies. Yeah. They get a discount.
1: They, they, they get whatever they want.
0: Oh, right. Uh, the guy says that since it's Harry, he'll give him the struts at 25, but Harry says that he will drop it to 20 shillings each. Uh, homely Architect and the guy are both surprised at this hardball move. Harry adds that he can give that guy a lot of business or none at all. So the guy gives in, and Harry tells the Homely Architect to sign the check.
1: In Harry's car, the homely architect thanks Harry. Harry says he didn't like that guy taking advantage of her, and the homely architect says she thought Harry was going to hit him, which he was not anywhere near close to doing. Yeah,
0: well, yeah, that was crazy.
1: Projecting much, homely architect. <laughs> Harry says that she like that, but the homely architect laughs and denies it. Harry kisses her hand, but then there's a ruckus outside as they pull up to the store and an egg hits their window. People are holding up flyers that say something about the sale being unpublic-spirited and there are posters on the window saying the same. So these are basically like YouTube commenters.
0: <laughs> right.
1: They pull up and make their way through the throng and Harry gets hit by an egg. Inside, Nunu Gordon asks if she should call the police, but Harry says just to take the posters down. Mustache asks if he should pull back on advertising and Harry says that they'll forge ahead and asks Mr. Grove to hire a new head of security uh, so do they currently have a head of security did he get egged and went home <laughs> like right. what is happening uh, here?
0: are they just implicitly firing him
1: now uh, Mr. Grove thinks he knows just the person, which no, you don't. No. George Towers Tal- a terrible head of security. He's wiry and not like quick-witted. Right. Like Jesus, you need like a scary fucking dude. You need a dude like that rapist. Yeah. The- Get those veterans in
0: here. <laughs> right. He's probably out of prison, right?
1: Harry walks the egg off his hand as he walks to the elevator with the homely architect who asks what he'll do. He says what he won't do is back down.
0: He learned it from Tom Petty.
1: (laughs) It was during his last dance with Mary Jane.
0: (laughs) That's right. A.K.A. Ellen Love.
1: He's... (laughs) God, I miss Ellen Love. I just want to know what she's doing.
0: I know, baby. Did she
1: become a legitimate actress? Did she have to fall back on the gaiety? What is happening? (laughs) Anyway, Harry says that they take me on at their peril, which is a very badass thing to say. I don't, I'm skeptical. Right. I'm still rooting for bankruptcy. Yeah.
0: I'm also skeptical about this riot. Like, who are these people? They, they nothing- don't have
1: TV, Tom. They don't have TV. They don't even have the wireless. Okay? You're, well, They're right. They're poor. They don't <laughs> have anything to do.
0: Well, where are we rioting today? I heard Selfridges. <laughs> In the former Kissin' storeroom, Martle supervises Connie, moving some boxes onto a cart, and Connie asks what they'll do once they've sold it all, and Martle explains how there's this warehouse. Grove enters and asks Martle for a word, so Martle tells Connie to tell the porter about their cart and then to take her tea break. Connie thanks her and heads out. Grove says that George is perfect for head of security. No, he's not. (laughs) Because he knows the store, has military experience, and is honest.
1: Except about his deteriorating, re (laughs) mental state.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) He asks Martel to ask George to see him in the morning. She agrees, and they somewhat awkwardly end the conversation.
1: Don't ever sleep with anyone you work with, everyone. Yeah. Just don't do it.
0: Right. Don't listen to this show.
1: Yeah. This show not our show Right We give only the best advice Absolutely It is public spirited spirit <laughs> In Fat Thomas's office Fat Thomas is addressing envelopes Haircut reads the card Saying caliano's club Invites you to join Its exclusive membership Fat Thomas hands her A stack of ones He's done with And haircut reads the names Mr. Barrett Lord Shelridge Sherridge Sherridge I, I don't know. know And Jonathan Campbell uh, And Mr. Norrell. <laughs> <laughs> She says that Fat Thomas sure knows a lot of rich people, and he says it's from his years running the Palm Court, which he said two episodes ago. Right. Haircut says Regan will be pleased, but Fat Thomas says he'll only be pleased by turning those envelopes into money, which is true.
0: Right. In the Palm Court, WizWaz tells Harry that she has independent means now that her jewels have arrived, uh, and Olga is in the gulag. (laughs) Harry says that he's delighted for her, and Wizwaz says that she will repay her debts to Harry and they can have a fresh beginning. She says that before Sergey married Rosalie, both their families had seen some very dark times.
1: Uh, yours has definitely seen darker times. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb.
0: Yeah. Like, like wife
1: dying of natural causes less than sign <laughs> Russian revolution. <laughs> right. Although we still haven't proven that they're Russian. <laughs> yeah, no. I, like, even Olga's thing, I'm still not sold. Okay. But Wizwaz is actually a good con artist.
0: Yeah that's for sure Uh, she says that now that there is a baby and a brighter future and she wanted to thank harry for his kindness and she won't prevail on it any longer harry says that she's not moving out and he won't let her repay a thing because she's family now (sighs) wiz says that it means a lot to her harry stands up and says rosalie will be a new mother and will need wiz support because the homely architect isn't inexperienced at these things Wizwas asks if the homely Architect is part of their brighter future, and Harry says that they were going to wait for the right moment, so this is for Wizwas only. They're secretly engaged. Great move, Harry. Yeah,
1: definitely tell this con artist your big secret, because it'll definitely stay a secret.
0: Right. Like, listen, I know my family hates living with you, but I won't let you move out, and I'm also going to tell you this secret before I tell any of them.
1: Yeah, that's really going to endear everyone involved to everybody else. (laughs) right.
0: So Wizwaz congratulates him and Harry says that the Homely Architect will be taking up a lot of his time and she has an office in the store now and suggests that Wizwas stop by for some reason. Wizwaz says that she would love to.
1: In said office, Gerard paces about saying it looks impressive. The Homely Architect says that the house plans are real. Gerard notes that they'll never get built the homely architect asks what he wants and he says the money she gave him only covered his lodgings uh the homely architect doesn't have any cash on her but she asks him to deliver some estimates to the estate office gerard says the guy keeps asking for architecty things so he's trying to avoid him the homely architect says he's waiting on the estimates and when gerard still hesitates she says please gus which is his real name that we keep forgetting right uh, if we had remembered, we might have started calling him Gus Gus.
0: <laughs> it's possible. But we did not. Also, should perhaps not be using his real name in, in this. Yeah.
1: yeah. Gerard says she's enjoying herself too much in the hall, which is the same set as the upstairs hall that leads to Harry's office. But this can't be the same hall, can it?
0: I wouldn't think. I don't know. Like on the sea level, you know.
1: It's very confusing. Yeah. Well, she's sea level by proxy. I
0: guess so. By vaginal proxy.
1: Yeah. So he literally runs into Wizwaz, and they both just stare at each other. It's like, does Wizwaz know this guy? Are he- they friends from the scam circuit? <laughs> right. She goes into the office and asks uh, what his deal was. The homely architect says that that was the architect, and these creative souls can be a bit of a handful. And Wizwaz tells. The homely architect that Harry told her the news and congratulates her. The homely architect, a little panicked, says it's supposed to be a secret, which it is. Right. Wizwa says that's fine. She loves secrets. <laughs> she wants them to be friends and feels like they got off on the wrong foot, which, uh, yeah. <laughs> the homely architect says she hadn't noticed, but you can never have too many friends, and Wizwa's agrees.
0: In Crab's office, Plunkett is promising to type up some documents when Loxley walks in and says, You, out. I need to speak with Mr. Crab. So uh, they're both startled by this, but Plunkett leaves, and Loxley says that the board is worried about the sale. Crab says that they didn't come to him, and Harry knows what he's doing. Loxley demands to see trading figures every day, and Crab says that it's out of the question, as Harry bursts in and asks what Loxley is doing there. Loxley complains about the warehouse and the protesters and the spiraling expenditure, and asks how much Britain at Play cost. Harry says he doesn't expect Loxley to understand their strategy, but Loxley goes on about the full-page ads and asks if it's strategy or a waste of money. Harry tells him to get out. Loxley says that he wants answers. Harry says that he doesn't care what Loxley wants, and when Loxley continues, he tells Crab to tell Mustache to double the advertising and offer an additional 10% off everything and tells Loxley that it's his store and he'll run it his way, and then, like, he punches himself in the face repeatedly. What are you doing, Harry?
1: No, this is so stupid.
0: Like, this is, yeah. If you run it your way— if you want to
1: win, just keep a cool head. Yeah. That's how Loxley's had the advantage— Literally, this entire time. Yeah. The only time we've seen him lose his cool is in private because of that article about Lady <laughs> May's wedding, which I'm not entirely sure wasn't a hallucination.
0: <laughs> Loxley is openly smirking at Harry, and uh, Harry tells him again to get out, and Loxley does get out very smugly.
1: Out in front of Selfridge's, New New Gordon flies down fake Doris, who tells him not to do this. It's hard for them, but it's for the best. Yep. Nunu Gordon, being a rich white man, ignores her and asks why she's being like this. Yeah. Uh, fake Doris cuts him off and says that she's a shop girl and he's the boss's son. They're from two different worlds. And she let herself down in front of Mr. Crab, which may not mean much to Nunu Gordon, but means a lot to her. Nunu Gordon asks if it's more than he means to her. And she laughs and says that he doesn't have to worry. His life is all mapped out for him, but she has to make her own way. She tells Nunu Gordon to leave her alone as her bus arrives, but she says that in his heart, Nunu Gordon knows that Harry will never approve. Nunu Gordon says that he doesn't know that and asks how he would, but fake Doris points out that he did not tell Harry about them and takes her seat. Mm -hmm. Nunu Gordon says, Grace, through the window, uh, which is silly since her name is fake Doris. (laughs) I know. But she rightly ignores him and she is doing a bang up job. Yes. Keep it up, Grace. That's right. Slash fake Doris.
0: In Harry's office, Crab walks in. Harry says he knows why he's there, to say that Harry shouldn't have let Loxley get to him, and that his orders for more advertising and discounts could bite him in the behind. Ha
1: ha 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 Oh, Mr. Crab, you are so vulgar!
0: <laughs> uh, but Crab actually says that he, what he was going to say was, let's stick it to them, and walks out.
1: Which is cute. Right, but like also crab. This is a bad idea. You know it. Like the ten percent discount is going to cut into your profits, as is the advertising.
0: Yeah, and your whole job is to be the boring guy here. Like, and that's fine. It's an important. Like I know
1: we all want to seem cool sometimes. Yeah, right. But like you can't. Yeah, you just can't. Right. At Martle House, Miss Martle pours some wine. George asks if they're celebrating, and Miss Martle says yes and tells him about the job offer. George says that's difficult to turn down because of narrative economy, and Martle says that going back was the right decision for her. It felt like she was returning to family, which is how cults work. <laughs> George says, with all the arguments that come with family, too, and Martel laughs ruefully. George says that things must be better between her and Mr. Grove, and Miss Martel says that they're getting better, yes, and they clink glasses. Please don't get back with him. Just, uh it's Like, not- I just hope Mr. Grove spontaneously combusts in a <laughs> poof of ginger smoke one of these days. I just, I don't like him single. No. I don't like him being a viable possibility for her. Yeah. Like, she's come too far, man.
0: Yeah. And he's unpleasant.
1: He is unpleasant. Like, I'm unpleasant, but in a really pleasant way. (laughs) In such a way that you enjoy being with me. It's true. Like, he's just, he's awful. Yeah. Like, he just, you know, if you want to be that personality type, that's fine, but he just holds on to grudges for, like, way too long. Yeah. Like, for grudges that are not sensible.
0: Right. Yeah. He's not good. No. Baby Daddy removes his cap as he walks up to Grove House and knocks on the door. Grove opens the door, then tries to slam it, but Baby Daddy puts his hand in the way and says that Martle allowed him to see Shame Baby. He says, please, I am his father. But Grove says that as far as Shame Baby is concerned, Grove is his father, and that Martle should not be encouraging Baby Daddy.
1: At Caliano's, haircut waits on some gamblers, including muggles one and Mm two, as Regan looks on. Which
0: I just realized as we did this, he was name checked in the invitations. Mr. Barrett is one of the muggles. Oh, yeah. yeah,
1: I don't, I haven't been paying attention. Yeah.
0: They're Barrett and Lowe, I believe. Okay. Yeah.
1: Fat Thomas walks up to Regan and says things are looking up, but Regan says the just completed hand looks like a loss to him. Fat Thomas says that they win hard, but they'll lose even harder. He says they got board directors, bankers, quality punters, (laughs) and Regan will get his money. Regan says he needs to get some rich losers fast. <laughs> he says Fat Thomas has a week to turn it around. and leaves, and haircut and Fat Thomas look at each other. Like, again, I guess this is working for Regan. He's just, like, so anti-innovation that it makes me mad.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, this is his managerial style, yeah. you know? It's gotten him this far. In her office, the homely architect looks at some blueprints and is stressed. Uh, Harry comes in and asks how the new office is. She says that she likes being there and she likes knowing that if she wants to see him, she just needs to step out that door. So, yeah, I guess it is on Harry's floor. Yeah, that's is,
1: stupid. Yeah. What was, it, what was in that office before? I don't know. Maybe Henri.
0: Maybe the former head of security. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Get out. My girlfriend <laughs> needs a new place to the, hang out.
0: They told me this would happen. Harry says that they make a great team and they'll do good things together. He says that she has given his life back to him and she says that he has changed her life. Uh, but in Homely House, Gerard is on the prowl. He uh, dumps out the cash box and finds the ring.
1: For God's sake, Homely Architect, what is wrong with you?
0: Seriously. Like,
1: how did you leave that house without that ring on you?
0: Yeah. A, also B, I mean, again, it's the most the one place that you know he needs money yeah you know he knows that the money is in that box
1: so god what an idiot yeah in grove's office martle knocks and mr grove says yes rather than come which is a nice change of pace <laughs> and she enters smiling and she says that grove asked to see her and grove says that man came to his house as he gets up to shut the door he asks if she, if baby daddy expects him to raise shane baby to call baby daddy father Miss Martle says that he just wants to see shame baby. And Mr. Grove says that won't happen. And that this is the direct result of Martle's meddling. And he can't believe she let baby daddy even see shame baby, which like if you didn't want people to do stuff with shame baby, maybe you shouldn't have abandoned him. Right. Miss Martle has had enough and asks him why he sees everything in black and white, right or wrong. Mr. Grove says in this instance, I am entirely in the right, but Martle says, Oh, in every instance and tells him that he's a hypocrite. She reminds him that they carried on an affair behind his wife's back.
0: Yes. I wanted to stand up and applaud. This is amazing. Finally.
1: He says he couldn't possibly forget she's a shadow following him from place to place, interfering in his work and his private life. Then he asks, how could you possibly know my feelings for Ernest when you have no children of your own? Which, what the fuck? Right. It's your fault. Yeah. You're the reason she doesn't have any kids.
0: Like, the entire world is like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So a stunned silence. Mr. Grove immediately realizes that he'd done fucked up. But Miss Martle cuts him off, and she says that she's not a mother, but she is a human being, and she once thought Mr. Grove was too. Mr. Grove says to leave him alone, and Miss Martle says, with pleasure, Mr. Grove, with absolute pleasure. Mr. Crab greets her in the hall, but she totally ignores him. And Mr. Grove sits at his dumb desk looking dumb, and I am just. Yeah. So, we have been gunning for her to tell <laughs> his fucking ginger ass off. Yeah. Since the first season. Yeah. Like it's and she finally years. did. It's amazing. Yeah. I just I want her to go get a hot air balloon <laughs> and
0: just go somewhere. It's waiting out front. <laughs> she just hops in it's like so long, fuckers.
1: Next stop oz
0: <laughs> I hear one of the wicked witches is retiring. <laughs> in uh, what we will later learn is the Burlington arcade, which still exists, and is in fact this is where they're filming it. I found pictures on Wikipedia. Oh great. Yes. Uh, Wizwas strolls along and sees Gerard walking out of a shop with some money. Uh, the shopkeeper follows to say that Mr. Paynton forgot his receipt, uh, but he says to throw it in the bin, and Wizwaz is thoughtful.
1: <laughs> in the homely architect's office, Wizwaz comes in with an engagement present for the homely architect. It's an Austrian crystal paperweight, which is a pretty snooze-worthy engagement present. <laughs> right the homely architect thanks her and then Wizwaz mentions that she saw a man who looked exactly like her architect friend coming out of the jewelers but they called her miss they called him mr Paynton. the homely architect says that their architect's name is mr gerard Wizwas says that's what she remembered the homely architect wants to know if he corrected Wiz when she addressed him so. Wiz says that she didn't address him and serves her right for not wearing her spectacles in public which is an excuse I hear a lot of women use actually and I'm like hmm. well, then why don't you just wear your spectacles in public right
0: also does she have spectacles I don't know I don't think we've ever seen them
1: she starts to leave and asks Wiz to consult her on wedding plans as she's quite the expert the homely architect says that she will and once Wiz is gone rushes to put on her hat and coat she heads out and down the hall but Wiz was waiting and goes into her office she takes a card off the bulletin board and then Harry. Walks in and asks where the homely architect is. Wizwaz says that she was just there and points out the gift. And then when Harry looks at it, throws a glove behind her, <laughs> saying she seemed to have dropped it. And then finds it. Harry picks it up for her, and she heads out. And she heads out like that's how you run a grift. Yeah, homely architect. That was
0: very smooth.
1: Wizwaz gets on the elevator and then looks at the business card of Thomas Gerard Fribba.
0: Right, which Friba is not, in fact, a name, even though it's in the same font and there's no comma. It is actually an acronym for Fellow of the Royal Institute of British Architects. Oh, that makes sense. Yes.
1: I, I- was wondering why they didn't call him Friba. Right.
0: I was as well, and I eventually figured it out.
1: <laughs> well, at Homely House, the Homely Architect goes in and calls for Gus, who is not there, and then she goes to find the cash box and finds it empty, sits down, and hopefully tries to evaluate when she became so <laughs> shitty at running a grift.
0: In front of Kalyanos, Sibby tells Violette that he is glad she agreed to come out with him, but Violette just now apparently realizes where they are and asks why he brought her there. As
1: do we. I don't like the way he's trying to, like, be that guy. Yeah. Like, quit manic pixie dream boying her.
0: <laughs> well, he says that past history must be faced before you can move on. Violette says, who says I want to move on? To which Sibby says, I do.
1: Especially if it means you'll stop wearing furniture. <laughs>
0: I can't and I won't. Violette uh, would like to say that she didn't find that kind of hot, Sibby's saying that, but she did a little bit. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Inside, Fat Thomas greets Violette, asks if she's planning to introduce Sibby, so she does. Fat Thomas shows them to a table His haircut looks on, and Fat Thomas asks Violette how she's been. She says, well, and that the place looks very refined. So Fat Thomas heads off, and Violette asks if they can leave, and Sibby's like, of course not, you weirdo. She says she feels uncomfortable, but Sibby says that her former intimacy with Fat Thomas doesn't bother him because he's a man of the world and they are a good match. Violette says that sounds cold. Shouldn't love figure into the equation? And Sibby says, well, you've had love. Where has it got you? And Violette's like, oh.
1: Yeah, it's like kind of a good point. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten so cynical in my old age.
0: Well, you know, that's I think what happens.
1: <laughs> I know. It's just a bummer. Yeah. You know, I didn't marry you for money. No. But you know, we but had it.
0: Money figured into the equation. It did
1: figure into the equation. Yeah, and I didn't say oh about it. <laughs> I don't know, but it's just like the older I get, I'm like, oh, seriously? Like you're like you're 35. You're still trying to find love, like. You should maybe be just thinking, like, do you want to have kids? Right. Do we like the same kind of apartment? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, customers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, this turned into a bit of a downer there. Yeah.
1: No, I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I you know, it's kind of a bummer for Violette at this point because she's got to be, what, like 17 or 18? Yeah. In universe. Like, right, in reality, right. she's clearly like 24. Sure, but, sure. You know, I mean,. But that's the thing. Like, if she wants any kind of freedom, she's going to have to find a man who her father will allow her to be free with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. At Homely House, the phone rings, but the Homely Architect is too busy pacing to answer it. Right. Harry hangs up the phone on his end, troubled. (laughs) Fraser welcomes Harry back to Selfridge House. Violette is going upstairs and says goodnight, sadly. He asks if things went well with Sibby, and she says that she thinks he wants to marry her. Harry asks how she feels about that, and Violette says he's probably right for her, not too many could cope with her, and sits down. This got me all over clempt. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's how I feel about you, dummy. <laughs> Harry says if the best he can do is cope, then he's not the right man. He says that she's this smart, funny, gorgeous little handful, and whoever she steps out with, it should be on her terms, as long as it's not someone that he, Harry, her father and de facto <laughs> owner, deems unworthy of her. Right. Also, she's not talking about stepping out with anybody. She's talking about stepping in. <laughs>
0: At Loxley sits down with the Muggles, and they ask if he talked to Crab. He says that Crab refused his request and said that Harry knows what he's doing. Muggle 1 asked if he believed him, and Loxley says that he doesn't think Crab even believes himself anymore. The two Muggles are disturbed. (laughs) Loxley says that Harry burst into the meeting and and got angry at Loxley. Muggle 1 thinks it sounds like Harry has something to hide. Loxley says, I'm not sure how to tell you this, but... And then is interrupted by Fat Thomas arriving with champagne. So that happens. And then that's done. Loxley tells the Muggles that Harry told Crabb to double the advertising and increase the discount. Muggle 1 says that they'll have to convene an emergency board meeting. Loxley asks, is that necessary? And Muggle 1 says that it is. And Muggle 2 says that Loxley did his best.
1: Why are these people so easily led? This and is, like, I just, I don't know. Like
0: This is why inherited wealth is a bad thing. <laughs>
1: But it's like, you know, at some point they decided to invest in this place. Right. And clearly they've had zero complaints thus far. Mm Mm-hmm. Just stupid. Mm Mm-hmm. On the shop floor, Bobbin is going over lipstick colors with the customer, but Kitty cuts her off and tells the customer that magenta surprise is the one for you. (laughs) The customer takes it, and Kitty tells Bobbin there's no time for their usual patter. She tells Bobbin to take her tea break. They're all tired. Bobbin says that she'll carry on, but Kitty says this is England. Nobody carries on without tea, (laughs) which is true. That's That's why they have that tea hut right across the street.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Grove and George walk across the shop floor, and Connie and George make eye contact. Grove introduces George to Harry and Crabb as their new head of security. Harry says that's quite a coup. After all, not just any hiring manager can find an unemployed man with no previous experience for that's that position. That's
1: not true. <laughs> at all.
0: <laughs> anyway, George says that it's uh, like coming back to family and Harry tells him not to leave home again. And
1: everybody laughs, but I'm like, that's kind of ominous.
0: Yeah, he kind of said it threateningly, yeah. actually.
1: At Homely House, Gerard walks in and the Homely Architect asks where the ring is. Gerard says, you mean the engagement ring you got from the man you weren't seeing anymore? Like, you burnt. (laughs) He says that he sold it. The Homely Architect says that that's stupid. How will she explain it to Harry? I just want to pause here and say, Homely Architect... Like, you can't scam the person you're running the scam with right? because he is equally as unscrupulous as you are. Yeah. And, like, that's not going to work.
0: Right. That's That rule is even up there above, don't fall in love with your target.
1: Yeah. Honor among thieves. And, like, you can't change the scam without telling him what the scam is right. if you don't want him to ruin it. Mm-hmm. I just can't like, believe they've gotten this far. Have they
0: not even seen Glengarry Glen Ross?
1: They may not have, in all honesty.
0: It's possible.
1: (laughs) Sir David Mamet to see you. jared wants to know why he should care uh how she explains anything to harry and wants to know why the homely architect lied to him when she said she broke it off still no backstory on these guys correct fyi yeah don't have any clue what their relationship is not at all because it's like is this sexual jealousy as well right Cause it's like maybe also don't sleep with the person you're running a scam with That's probably good advice yeah uh, he asks if she was trying to cut him out and starts to threaten her but the homely architect says that she wasn't Gerard asks why she agreed to marry him and the homely architect says because I meant it and I'm like bitch you need to sit down
0: yeah like you don't say things because you mean them
1: when you're running a grift <sighs> I just there's so much wrong here yeah Gerard rolls his eyes and sits down as the audience proxy. <laughs> and the homely architect says she loves him. Gerard says, all the scams we've pulled, broken every rule, but the one you never break. You don't fall in love with the target. Yeah uh well the homely architect says she loves him as if gerard has not just said that that (laughs) is not acceptable and she was just waiting for the moment to tell gerard oh maybe like when you got that ring and you should be like oh by the way i know you're gonna want to steal this ring and sell it but don't right because it's now a key part of this scam yeah
0: yeah pro tip everybody never even bother say i was saying i was waiting for the moment that's everybody knows
1: everybody knows you were actually just trying to wait it out and see if you could not say anything ever right he asks if she thinks she can really be Mrs. Harry Selfridge and the homely architect says it could be a new life for them. And of course she'd look out for him, which didn't they need to go to America to escape their unexplained past?
0: Yes, they did. They seemed very uh, gung ho about it.
1: She says they could have no more running or lying. They'd have a proper life. Gerard asks how he could pull off being an architect, but the homie architect, he says he can just go to America, just like he's always wanted. She says this is why she hasn't taken any money out, because they're still clean, officially, like, on this scam. Right. Gerard says she's really thought this through, and, uh, no, she hasn't, actually. None of this is going to work out. Right.
0: It's clearly unsustainable. Because, I mean,
1: what she's, you know, she is presupposing... That Harry's not going to find out, and that when Harry does find out, he's going to be totally chilled out mm-hmm. with her, like, hard knock story. He's going to find out eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, I, he just is. Like, you don't have papers that, like, allow you to get a marriage license so they can read the bands or whatever. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. there's a lot of problems here. Anyway, the homely architect says she wants to stay clean. She's going to build those houses and be Mrs. Harry Selfridge. So she's gone round the twist she has this yes. is not gonna happen
0: yeah on the shop floor martel and connie are heading out they're done for the night uh george calls after martel to say that he'll need a few minutes in the morning to discuss her security needs he says miss hawkins connie says george and uh martel says m mr towler connie apologizes and then blunders into a display and knocks things over kitty would never have done that oh absolutely not.
1: <laughs> so she well, had... kitty never would have worked in the loading bay either well that's
0: true So she heads off, and Kitty comes up, speak of the devil, and tells George that it is lovely to have him back, and Connie's delighted to see him, too, and maybe he should think about asking her out. George says that maybe Kitty should stop trying to organize his love life. This
1: is the first time we've ever seen her try to organize his love life. That's true. But Kitty laughs and heads off and says, if I didn't organize things around here, nobody would. (laughs) Up in Harry's office, Crab comes in and announces the emergency board meeting and says they're demanding to see figures. Harry says they're not ready for figures, and this is Loxley's doing. Crab says Harry doesn't seem surprised. Harry says this, that this isn't about the figures. They mean to oust him. Crab asks what they're going to do, and Harry says to go ahead and convene the meeting. Crab asks if he's sure, and Harry nods. Crab heads out in a daze. Harry tells Nunu Gordon, who tagged along with Crab, that he knows the company inside and out and Loxley doesn't. And when Nunu Gordon is in his chair, he'll have to fight tooth and nail to keep it and fight for everything he holds dear. And we can see Nunu Gordon getting the entirely wrong message out of that. Yeah, uh, He meant the money. Right. Which is really, I think, at the bottom of it, really all Harry carry. All Harry cares about. Yeah.
0: Well, I would say I would I would slightly change that to say the store. The store. Like, yeah. You know, he he doesn't care about money so much per se, but it's this. You know, it's got his name on the store. He built it. Yeah. It's the most important thing to him. So, in some back alley, Nunu Gordon arrives at a dirty staircase and heads up. He knocks on the door and Bobbin answers and is rather startled. Nunu Gordon says he's there to see Fake Doris. Bobbin says, "Well, it's not what you're used to," and lets him in. He walks into the studio apartment that Fake Doris and Bobbin share. Fake Doris was washing dishes and turns around in surprise. Nunu Gordon says, you wouldn't talk to me anywhere else, so I had no choice. Um, yes you did, you prick. You could have chosen to respect her desire to not talk to you. Like,
1: who let you see say anything?
0: <laughs> Ugh, he probably goes on to write say anything.
1: Gross. And 500 days of summer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fake Doris says that they're not usually so untidy. Nunu Gordon asked, asks if there's anywhere more private they can talk, which there obviously isn't as he can see the entire apartment from where he stands. So Bobbin says that she will go. Fake Doris takes her apron off as Bobbin leaves and sits down on her bed. Nunu Gordon says that Fake Doris was right, he has been a coward, but he intends to fight now. He wants the world to know how much he loves Fake Doris. <sighs> He says that if she just tells him she loves him, he will go on fighting. And by go on fighting, I guess he means start fighting. Fake Doris says, of course she loves him, but she'll only be with him if he tells his father. Nunu Gordon says that he should have told his father straight away, and he will. And they kiss, if you can call that kissing. Boo!
1: Very much boo. Giant boo. Agreed. Like, fake Doris... What happened to your very strong, pragmatic takedown of this relationship in the previous episode? Right. Because none of that is going to be any easier just because you have both decided that you love each other. Right. You
0: still sold his relatives hats. You are
1: both going to be the laughing stock of both of your respective social classes. Yeah. Because your family is going to do nothing for the rest of your life. I mean, this is assuming. Sure. That this actually happened. Yeah, all they're gonna do is talk about how you're putting on airs and ask you for money all the time. Right. All that's gonna happen to Nunu Gordon is everyone in society is going to cluck their tongues and say, "What a shame!" Yeah, and titter about you probably in front of your face. Oh yeah, you're never going to be comfortable. He's such a fucking milksop. He's not going to defend you. No, he's not going to do anything. And his family certainly isn't going to go to bat for you. Yeah, they won't go to bat for each other. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, no. Yeah. I reject this, and I hate that this is happening. I agree. This shit happens all the time in real life. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it happened a lot, you know, yeah, at sure. this time period, sure. because there are so few men yeah. around to even have inappropriate <laughs> yeah. relationships with, but it's just like, you know, it's the same deal as as Rose and Jack Ross mm-hmm. in series four of Downton Abbey, right. with just way, like, There was never a point in Downton Abbey, I feel like, where I felt like we were meant to root for them, per se. Yeah. We were supposed to be happy that they were flirting and like making out or whatever. Yeah. But we were never told that we should be rooting for them. Yeah. And here, clearly, we're supposed to be rooting for them, and I'm not.
0: Right. Not at all, no. The only thing I liked about this scene was, A, I don't think I knew that fake Doris and Bobbin were roomies.
1: No, we had no idea. We assumed that she lived alone because she was asking, you know, what, you know, how would she get to know those regatta girls? Mm -mm. You know, would they come and sit on her bed while she eats, you know, kippers or whatever?
0: (laughs) Right something horrible and british (laughs) um yeah and i i mean so i just liked seeing their apartment you know which is no i
1: did too it was great you know they had like stockings hanging everywhere Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing yeah When it's like fake doris can still marry really well yeah you know what i mean like she's got a really good respectable position Mm -hmm. she can find somebody yeah and he can have anybody he wants yeah i mean more or less he can't have her well right but you know
0: yeah the only people on th-
1: it's like the rolling stones haven't happened yet
0: <laughs> at grove house baby daddy knocks on the door and grove answers baby daddy says that grove wanted to see him and grove lets him in and says that he can visit shame baby every second to sunday afternoon they will say he's a friend of the family i'm not sure whether that means every other or every second of the month but it doesn't well,
1: matter I don't care. Right.
0: Uh, baby Daddy thanks him and asks what made Grove change his mind. Grove says, Not everything's black and white. Sometimes you have to change. So he opens the door for Baby Daddy to leave. Baby Daddy thanks him and holds out a hand that Grove very reluctantly shakes.
1: Well, that's positive, I guess. <laughs> I just am so angry at Mr. Grove. Like yeah. and I think this is good and I don't I feel like this is anachronistic though. Yeah. I feel really strongly that this wouldn't happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah i i don't know i don't know what is expected yeah because it's a very even for today it's kind of an unusual situation
0: right that's true you know
1: like had doris lived he probably would have just divorced her right and kept his kids yeah and shunted her off with yeah. shame baby but you know whatever yeah. i guess that's fine good job billy <laughs> right
0: <laughs> billy
1: at Martle House, Miss Martle watches out the window as a for sale sign is put up. What, 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 Maybe she's getting that hot air balloon after all. <laughs> Back at Selfridges, the homely architect gets off the elevator and sees Harry, who asks if everything is all right. She says she's lost the ring. Harry says it's just a ring, but the homely architect says it's the ring that he bought, and she feels awful. Harry says he'll get her another one, and they'll go to dinner, and she'll tell him what he likes. The homely architect thanks him, and they kiss. Cut to Wizwas, standing in front of a building, looking at Gerard's business card. Hmm. Dun dun dun. <laughs>
0: in the boardroom, Plunkett shows in the muggles and a montage shows the other board members sitting down, including Loxley. In Crab's office, Harry asks if Crab is ready for the board meeting, and he says he is, so Crab walks in and Loxley asks if Harry will be deigning to join them. But Crab announces that Harry is invoking his right to a two-week postponement under Clause 18, part two of the Articles of Association. Ka-wham! Yeah. He thanks them and leaves. The muggles say that Harry is out of control, and Loxley stands and says that this is the kind of erratic behavior that has troubled the muggles, and he is afraid to say that he now agrees with, him, with them. They have convinced him that Harry has to go.
1: Blackout. Right. Credits. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great.
0: Yeah. Credits in England.
1: Oh, yeah. Credits in England. Good point. Yeah.
0: Possibly a commercial break. You know what the PBS commercial breaks are. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know if they do that. I don't know in the middle of a two-hour season finale.
1: Uh, I try to avoid their web player,
0: <laughs> and
1: we have not been recording this. So
0: right. So maybe there's a little Viking rivers cruise to spot here.
1: Who can we say? can't say. <laughs> So at the top of the next episode, Crab totals up some numbers. Miss Plunkett lays out some papers in the boardroom as Harry stands there motionless. Loxley and the Muggles arrive at the front of the store and look at the shop window in disgust for some reason. (laughs) Like again, like why don't you just sell your shares? Yeah. Who gives a shit?
0: Yeah. You'll still be rich.
1: Crab keeps adding things up. Loxley and the muggles enter the front door. Mr. Grove sees them and is startled and tells Kitty to delay them and runs upstairs. Loxley greets some other, uh, board members at the elevator and Kitty reluctantly gets his attention. Loxley says she's recovered well. It's like, yes, definitely send your employee into what was surely going to be a triggering conversation. Yeah,
0: for real. That was like ridiculous. I and mean, what do you, what do you need to delay them who for? Who
1: cares? The meeting was scheduled. You cannot let them in the door until yeah. it's ready. Grove keeps running upstairs, and Harry asks Nunu Gordon where Mr. Crabb is as he power walks into the room, <laughs> and he says the week's profits are up by 6.4%, not as much as they'd hoped. But, like, that's a lot. Yeah. Like, if you have promised, like, an overall 10% increase, like, that's going, like, that's a trend that you can extrapolate, which, you know.
0: Yeah. And that's, again, that's profit up 6.4%. Mm-hmm. It's not saying revenue is up yeah. 64 exactly. Like, that's
1: impressive. It is really impressive. Harry asks if Crab has been in contact with the other board members supporting Loxley, and we can see all the members following Loxley down the hall, because yes, clearly this guy who just showed up.
0: <laughs> and who is shorter than all of them, uh-huh. which is comical.
1: Um, Crab says that the Muggles haven't returned his calls, and they can't be sure Loxley hasn't won others round. Grove walks in and says that they're coming, uh, which is true. They're all right behind him. And they gather around the table, and Loxley says that Harry has finally found the time to see them. Harry asks what he can help them with, and Loxley says he promised to raise profits 10%, but you and your man <laughs> wouldn't show Loxley the figures. Muggle1 adds that Harry didn't show up for the board meeting, but Harry stops him and says that they have prepared figures and they are on the table. Moreover, he was more than welcome, according to the Articles of Incorporation, to not show up to that board meeting. Right. He was following the rules. Yeah. Everyone sits down and takes a look, and Crabb observes that profits are rising steadily. They're up 6.4%. Muggle One says 64 is not what they were promised, and Loxley says he won't be able to hit 10% in time for the dividend. But Harry says they've gotten till the end of October, and September has traditionally been a good month for them. Crabb adds that they intend to keep the sales running and he has prepared some forecast figures, which Miss Plunkett hands out. Loxley scoffs and says that Harry is gambling again. <laughs> he says Harry runs the business in an autocratic fashion and won't allow anyone to question his judgment, which is why the board would like to propose a vote of no confidence. Commercial break! <laughs> At
0: the Selfridge Field, the homely architect tells some guy that the materials will be on site tomorrow. The guy asks about an advance to pay his boys, and the homely architect says that the money will be in his account before they start. The guy says that sounds good, and then tells Gerard that he's glad he's there, because he was wondering where to dig the sump well. Gerard clearly hasn't the slightest idea, but the homely architect points to a spot on the blueprints, and Gerard agrees, which seems to be good enough for this guy. Gerard pulls the Homely Architect aside and points out that he has no idea what he's talking about. But the Homely Architect says that she does. She has been up half the night, every night, studying up. Like, dude, I can speak to this. I was a civil engineering major for a minute, and that is like a four-year degree with no slacking off. Like, that is why I did not major in it.
1: People could die.
0: Yeah, because it's really hard, and they do not... Yeah, people could die. Mm -hmm. Like... You can't just stay up a few it's nights. It's like
1: medical school for buildings and roads. <laughs> It is.
0: I don't know. Maybe it was different back then. They were just like, well, sometimes houses collapse. Yeah. There's nothing anybody can do about sometimes it. Sometimes
1: a lady throws herself onto the subway track.
0: What you do? <laughs> right. Gerard says that she can't make it work, but the Homely Architect says that she can. They agreed. She's going to marry Harry, and Gerard is going to America. Gerard says that they'll be going to prison, but the Homely Architect says not if they hold their nerve.
1: I remain skeptical.
0: Yeah. Like, Gerard...
1: You can scam a lot of people in a lot of ways. Right. But, like, the Honeypot scam... You can't turn that into a legitimate life choice. Yeah. I personally don't think.
0: Yeah. I mean, Lady May tried it.
1: She did, and it didn't work, did yeah, it? No, it didn't. Like, you just can't... You can't expect those feelings to transfer. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't...
0: Right. And it's like, Gerard, you have good reason to think that this is ending in a prison. You may need to... You should probably start considering the virtues of the solo grifting career. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's perhaps time.
1: I think if I was a grifter... I would only go solo because I don't trust anybody. I really don't. (laughs) Well, I can't imagine a career
0: in grifting would make that any, you know, less true. Oh,
1: no. I mean, look, there's a lot of reasons that I don't have a career in grifting (laughs) and that's definitely one of them. But if I, I'm just saying if I was, if I were going to, uh, I just wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of feel that way in my normal career too. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I'm like, I don't really trust any of you. Yeah. I've, uh, I've observed. I know you have. (laughs) it's a problem (laughs) don't worry someday i'll learn how to trust (laughs) she said hopefully (gasps) in the boardroom plunkett hands harry some papers which he begins to pass out saying it's a financial statement showing how they've all profited from buying into the company he says that he is a risk taker and proud of it because business is about assessed risk Loxley says that this is the past not the future and he could lose it all tomorrow and i'm like what Yes, that's what buying stocks is. <laughs> yeah. That is literally what buying stocks is. Mm-hmm. Buying stocks is saying, hmm, in the past, this thing has performed in a way that I think is good and favorable and that might make me money with the understanding that it could all go to shit. Right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that it is. Yeah. He tells the Muggles to stand firm. Harry asks if they vote him out, then what next? Loxley says that they'll bring in a new chairman, but Harry says they haven't thought this through. He says it's not business, it's personal, and that Loxley is a profiteer. Loxley says that he's a changed man, and hey, I started that charity. Right. And Harry says that that charity defended a man who attacked his employee. Loxley says that she put herself in harm's way, working late at night, slathered in makeup because she in the fucking makeup department asshole it's her job nobody gets mad at you being slathered in lizard
0: (laughs) slathering is her whole job
1: Harry says so it's her fault is it which is again I think pretty anachronistic
0: (laughs) responsibilities include slathering tarting up (laughs) (laughs)
1: Loxley says she should have been more careful uh, but they have shown Harry as a feminist Like from the very beginning Right Whether it's anachronistic or not Yeah You know he's very consistent In believing that women are people
0: Right And so when So when this moment comes It doesn't feel like Lord Grantham
1: Exactly Yeah Harry says that kind of talk No wonder Lady May left you And then Loxley says That woman was a liar and a whore uh harry notices people reacting to that and says lady may's new husband doesn't think so although they aren't married yet are they what day is this he
0: i mean he just means her prospecting
1: um also you knew she was a liar and a whore when you married her (laughs) locksley right that was the whole thing
0: (laughs) she was the prettiest liar and whore you could find damn idiot
1: Loxley says that Lady May wouldn't have a new husband if Harry hadn't paid her divorce. Harry says that she was a friend of his, and Loxley says, she was mine. You took her from me. And, like, he could have almost gotten away with this. He almost could have pulled this fucking thing off. But Mm -hmm. then he has to stand up because he's so fucking short. And he (laughs) says, and now you're going to know how it feels, Selfridge, to lose what's yours. And then Harry says, and he says it wasn't personal. Game set, Selfridge. And look he was losing the whole season mm-hmm. the whole time mm-hmm. he just kept doing dumb bullshit
0: yep and then he finally you know he turned the tables yeah. at the last moment and i really you know i did pretty much enjoy how it played out even if harry was being an idiot most of the time i agree it was in a way that's consistent with what we know about him and then this last like turn like it was yeah. handled really well, well. yeah
1: Muggle One tells Loxley that this is a business meeting and sit down and Loxley belatedly realizes his mistake. I mean, it really is like, it's believable. Yeah. The guy who plays him, Aiden something. Yeah. They're all named Aiden over there. Um, <laughs> he does such a great job making Loxley so contemptible. Yeah. And... There was always this sense of this seething underneath the veneer. And Mm -hmm. so that's earned as well. Yeah. Like, not only is Harry's eventual victory earned, from what we know about his character, Loxley's defeat is also. Because we know that Loxley's pride is this gaping wound at the center of his being. And if you figure out how to get in there just right,
0: he just collapses. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, Anyway, Loxley asks the board to remember what's at stake and they're all like, yeah, everything seems fine, dude. Like, you got us all worked up. (laughs) Harry says that Loxley has been manipulating them for his own ends and then Loxley says to proceed with the vote. Miss Plunkett checks with Harry and he nods.
0: At Selvich House, Sergei wraps up a phone call in his office as WizWaz paces behind him. He hangs up and says that they're starting on the airplane. WizWaz says, that's wonderful, darling. But Sergei asks what the matter. He knows that look. Wiswoz shows him Gerard's card and says th- that she checked the address, but is boarded up. Sergei says that it could be an old card, but Wizwas says that nobody knows of him. Sergei asks who recommended him. Wizwas says the homely architect, and Sergey says, ah, which I'm not even quite sure what he means by this. Like is he saying that Wizwaz is just jealous of the homely architect in some I way? I don't
1: know. I don't think Sergey ever means anything when yeah. he talks. Honestly. I'm not even being flip. Right. Like I just I think he is extraordinarily dumb. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I I am willing to believe that he is a gifted aerodynamic engineer. Sure. I will completely buy that. He's clearly passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah but he is not no, good but, at I mean,
0: people you're right he had no idea that he should stop flirting with people you know at his own wedding reception or like example. be nice
1: to his wife ever right so yeah
0: yeah and again not out of maliciousness well, just out of complete sense, i guess
1: i'm glad Sibby's on the scene yeah because Sibby seems like he's able to kind of like rein in the like awkward aspects of sergey mm-hmm. and be like dude like you're being really stupid yeah You've got a plum gig here. Like, I'm trying <laughs> to get the same gig. Like,
0: you're my inspiration in yeah. a way, apparently.
1: You're the meeting <laughs> in my life. you the Aerodome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I just had a moment because Aerodome made me think of Thunderdome, and that made me think of Bad Max, <gasps> and we just watched it.
1: We did just watch it. Well, Fury Road we watched, <laughs> right, 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 which right, right. was amazing. Yeah. So, uh, go see it. Yeah. On the big screen. Mm-hmm. In 3D?
0: I would say, you know, I'm sure it's also good yeah. in 2D, but I 3D often actively bothers me, mm-hmm. and it did not in this
1: instance. Yeah, so it's this, Coraline, and Life of Pi.
0: That's pretty much, yeah.
1: That's been it. <laughs> anyway, it's great, yeah. and you will love it right. uh, if you like action movies. Right, But I will say also, because I think we have a lot of people who maybe don't like action movies, Mm -hmm. but what I will say is I always have a hard time with like battle scenes or really long extended action sequences Mm -hmm. because like I lose track Mm -hmm. and that is true on screen and it's also true in books. Like anytime a battle starts, Uh, like my brain just goes like, and I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? How did we get here? God, the red badge of courage is a terrible book. Um, even but if you're not
0: reading it, that's just yeah.
1: what you think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's really deftly directed. Yeah. Um, and just, it's uh, it's got tons of, of strong female characters. Mm-hmm. I'm so sick of that phrase, though. Yeah. Because they weren't all, like, quote-unquote strong. They yeah, were. some
0: of them were not. Some I of them guess were. The point,
1: they were female characters. Yeah. They had different personalities yeah. and purposes in the story and their own agendas, and mm-hmm. it was great. It was. Also... I have like a weird crush on Nicholas Holt and he was in it and I was like, Oh my god, Nicholas Holt. Like it was uh, it was great. Yeah. So that was what we did right. this weekend. Yeah for funsies.
0: <laughs> Just a quick recommendation. Anyway, WizWaz takes Gerard's card and walks off, and Sergei says not to cause trouble, things are finally working between them and the Selfridges, so to leave well alone and Wizwaz is like, I'm Russian. You know. We don't leave well alone. We take bad and poke
1: it with stick. <laughs> that's hysterical (laughs) i do like the scenes between them though yeah like i don't think they work from a plotting perspective but that relationship is really weird and interesting and i wish that it made more sense yeah like but i like the dynamic between them because it's like they've been forced to have this close bond but they don't really like know or like each other that much right and it's like you get the sense that like Had they lived in Russia and had the revolution not happened, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they wouldn't have been this close.
0: Right. Well, I mean, they would I One assumes that up until a few years before we see them, they had the standard aristocratic, like, very distant relationship.
1: Yeah. Plunkett gathers the balance in the boardroom. Gee, I wonder how Nunu Gordon voted.
0: (laughs) It's like, well, there's one vote for... Wait, which way is... No. Wait, no.
1: Yes? Wait. Which is... Ah, uh, mustache. <laughs> Solves all my problems. She uh, tots them up and announces that the vote is defeated, 7-2. to two. Loxley is all like, whatever. He stands up and says he gave them all a chance, but they were too wet to take it. He says that Harry will lose them money, mark his words, and walks out. And everybody's like, dude, we just... We don't care about you anymore.
0: Yeah. I like uh, I like the way the British use the word wet as an insult. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I feel like it be, we should keep it in mind as we as a society look to move on from words like gay and retarded. Yeah. Like, wet doesn't stigmatize anybody. That's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well... Anyway.
0: <laughs> what, marsh dwellers?
1: No, isn't like wetbacks is a thing.
0: Oh, well, right. That's a thing. But, but that's a, that's unrelated yeah. to the, the, you know, British term.
1: That's true. Okay. Well, look, Tom, I'm just trying to think of all contingencies. Well, no, and
0: I appreciate your, you know, looking out for me.
1: Harry says that if anybody else doesn't like how he runs things he suggests that they leave which I don't think you can say to your board
0: right they cannot like how you run things and still be on the board anyway That's sort of the point
1: Muggle 2 gets up and heads out defeating the purpose of a anonymous vote <laughs> and Harry thanks everybody else for their faith and Loxley and Muggle 2 walk down the hallway the oddest of odd <laughs> couples this is the real Neil Gaiman pairing yeah
0: here. this is this is really like this little evil dapper guy yeah and the hulking weird <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> ah! oh man what a time <laughs> at Calliano's, fat thomas is sitting around doing some paperwork when haircut walks up and says that she has some gossip Prince Carol of Romania is in town.
1: Ooh la la. Yes,
0: so this would presumably be the future King Carol II of Romania, whose Wikipedia article describes him as, quote, known more for his romantic misadventures than for any leadership skills. My
1: favorite kind of monarch.
0: <laughs> yes, and at this precise moment in history, his marriage had been annulled a few months previously, but he was still living with his former wife, who would uh, currently have been pregnant with his child, uh, but apparently he still liked to party.
1: I think that explains, like, everything else that had previously happened. <laughs> to
0: him <laughs> yeah uh yeah this is also by the way what i learned the period between world war one and world war two was like peak romania like through history oh like really? they did great out of world war one huh. they got a huge more area and everything
1: better than like bella caroli
0: <laughs> you know he was a good consolation nadia komanić they were all fine but that was, you know, they were under the Soviet yeah, jackboot. Yeah, I guess
1: they weren't uh, yeah, they weren't awarded any lands <laughs> right. for winning those medals.
0: No, no. Well,
1: they might have been under the Soviet jackboot.
0: Yeah, that's possible actually.
1: Let's not uh <laughs> don't sleep on the Soviet Union, man.
0: You get the perfect 10, you get the I don't know, as the Crimea. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Prince Carol is apparently, Haircut says, with two stage stars, and they're going around to casinos losing thousands. Fat Thomas says, isn't Baccarat his thing? And Haircut nods and says that they could run a private evening for him. Fat Thomas asks if Haircut's friends got word to the prince, so she'll go and ask.
1: God, I love Haircut! Yeah, man. She could get us some opium. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure No problem. Correct. Yeah. Get us a toe. Get us whatever we want.
0: <laughs> That's right. Fat Thomas grabs Haircut's arm as she leaves and says that this could be the big one. Haircut says that it could get Regan off their backs for good. Fat Thomas asks if he's been giving her trouble, but she says she just wants Regan to leave them alone, and Fat Thomas agrees.
1: You know that taking money from a mobster means that he will literally never leave you alone, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, haven't you watched Eastern Promises? (laughs) God. Triumphant music plays as Fraser takes Harry's coat at Selfridge House. Rosalie says she heard how he sent Loxley packing. As they walk into the dining room, Harry says the question is who they'll sell their shares to. There's no guarantee that they're going to sell their shares, dum-dum. They don't have to. Anyway, they have more to celebrate, and he announces to the whole family that they start on the Selfridge estate in two days. Everybody's glad, and I guess we're just assuming that Harry drinks champagne now. Yep. Violette says Rose would be proud. We disagree, but Harry does not. <laughs> uh, he says that Rose was a special, unique woman, and he says that after she died, he never thought he'd find love again, but he's been lucky. He found <laughs> the homely architect.
0: <laughs> now I'm going to have to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're welcome. (laughs) Violet asks what he's saying. Rosalie asks if he's marrying the Homely architect. And Harry says that he is. And everybody says that that's great, except that they don't really mean it. Which we kind of missed because the first time we were kind of pointing out that the Homely architect really ought to be there for this announcement.
0: Right. You would really think so. But yeah, I was actually surprised rewatching it. Like if you look at their reactions, they're all like, oh, great. Yeah. Which uh, they're correct.
1: Yeah. Wizwaz is particularly concerned, of course, and Ma asks if she knows something. Wizwaz says she could be wrong. Ma tells Wizwaz to trust her instincts. <laughs> Didn't that sound like good advice? <laughs> and then she had confident that she's done all she could. Like, yep. did it occur you to ask? Uh, why are you concerned? Is there something that we should all know about? Nope. She's like, well, that's another problem res- I've resolved. Ugh. I'm beginning to see why your husband drank, Ma. <laughs> drank? Yeah.
0: Oh, he drank a bunch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why Harry doesn't drink. I know. Why have we written this out of the story? It, there's
0: no need to write it out. They it's perfectly... They made such
1: a big deal. All he has to do is not drink. Yeah.
0: It wouldn't have changed a single thing in any of these scenes. In Plunkett's office, Harry and Plunkett transact some business as Nunu Gordon waits in Harry's office. Um, I feel like we never really saw that there's a door. I
1: have never seen that.
0: Yeah, but there's a door between Harry and Plunkett's office that's not the one in the hall. Uh, so Harry heads into his office and says that Violette didn't seem too happy about his engagement. And none of the rest of them did either. Nino Gordon says that she'll come around. Harry thought that she liked the homely architect and thinks Violette will send them to an early grave. Nino Gordon hesitates and says that he himself is also seeing someone. Don't do this! Right. Harry's excited and suggests... Instead of asking who, immediately guesses that it's that Maxwell Taylor girl. Nunu Gordon says no, so Harry's next guess is that it's the other Maxwell, T- Maxwell Taylor girl. Nunu Gordon says no again, but then Plunkett comes in to say that the homely architect and mustache are ready for him. Harry tells Nunu Gordon that he's a dark horse, and they'll talk later, and he heads out.
1: You're a dark horse, Gordon. I've been saying that uh, a lot He's, since we watched this. episode. It's true.
0: Like Nobody ever thought you'd accomplish anything, but I look at you now, trouble. marrying somebody I don't know yet.
1: Bad news, Amber. <laughs> in the Homely Architect's office, the Homely Architect Mustache and Harry look over a model of the estate, and Mustache, Mustache says that he wants Harry down there, a spade in hand, and he needs a bio from the Homely Architect, uh, who plays it very cool. Just kidding. She's all nervous and guilty looking, which continues when Plunkett pops in to say that the bank is on the line about the estate and Harry tells her to put it through to that office. Mustache says that he'll also need a bio for Gerard and Harry says he'd also like to talk to him and asks if the homely architect can bring him into the store. She nods. The phone rings and Harry answers, has a brief convo and says 15,000 pounds were deposited. They've got their full budget. Harry and the homely architect are excited and kiss. Yeah. Once again, where the fuck did they get these blueprints?
0: Uh, she said she paid for them. I believe at one point, I, it's but just, it's weird. Yeah, it is weird. I don't. I don't fully understand. Because like
1: that's to me, it seems like it would be so expensive, right? As to negate this whole scam.
0: Yeah, and where did you get the money to do it? Exactly. So who knows? Uh, in the hallway, Mustache observes that Harry and the homely architect have a good working relationship, and they really edited the scenes, they cross-cut these scenes much uh sharper than they usually do with the audio starting early, so that we all know that Mustache is talking about the kiss that just happened. So Harry agrees, and Mustache asks if something is going on. Harry says, not for print, but Mustache might as well know, they're getting married. And
1: boy, Samuel West sure is a terrible actor, guys. Yeah, he's, he's not very good. He's not good. It's... Sorry dude. It's yeah. Your Twitter is good though. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Wizwas walks purposefully through a building, introduces herself to a guy at a desk and wants information about Gerard who's registered there. And the guy says he'll check.
0: Yes. And this is the Royal Institute of British Architects. Grows office. A knock. Come. Martle walks in and announces that she's handing in her notice. Grove is startled, asks if she's thought it through. She says she finds it impossible to work with him. Grove says he knows it's been difficult recently, but Martle says he treats her like a pariah and she's not and she won't put up with it anymore. She doesn't need to. She goes to walk out and Grove goes after her and asks her to reconsider, but she just says, please inform Mr. Selfridge and walks out.
1: On the shop floor, Mustache whispers to Kitty, I got it from the horse's mouth. (laughs)
0: Which is gross. They say it'll be cleared up with antibiotics.
1: Like, isn't that how you get (laughs) lockjaw? Kitty says that it's wonderful. Mr. Selfridge deserves happiness. Mustache heads off. And George announces to everyone he's had a tip-off that there's a gang of shoplifters (laughs) working Oxford Street. Great. Bobbin says, at least you're here. Makes us all feel safer. Kitty tells her to get back to work. Only Hawkins girls flirt in this store. <laughs> And fake Doris ineffectively. <laughs> Bobbin smiles at George and heads off. Kitty tells George that he has a fan club... George says none of the girls at the club are into him. And Kitty says nice girls are his sort. Then excuses herself to greet the homely architect who's getting off the elevator. She congratulates her and tells her she needs her makeup done on the big day. She knows who to come to. (laughs) The homely architect says they haven't finalized anything. And Kitty says she'll keep it to herself. But news does travel fast. The homely architect walks out and Kitty waits about .5 (laughs) seconds before she says, (laughs) "Jesse." Kitty Hawkins, MVP of this season. Absolutely. Like, that's not an award that we're doing at the end. No. But man, she has fucking killed it. Yes. She gets, like, the er nailing it award.
0: (laughs) In Plunkett's office, Wizwas walks up and asks if Harry is in. Plunkett says that he left early. Wizwas asks where she can find him, and Plunkett says that she would think he's with the Homely Architect. Wizwas starts to head out. But Plunkett stands up and asks if Wizwaz knows. Wizwaz says it's wonderful news. Plunkett, in a big highlight close-up, says, it reminds one how love can blossom in later life. And she's just got this look on her face, man.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. We weren't expecting this, like, still Plunkett's run deep, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Wizwaz asks if Plunkett has homely, the homely architect's address, but Plunkett says she couldn't divulge that and suggests that Wizzwaz come back in the morning.
1: What happened to Blankensop?
0: she's uh still in the information bureau Poor blank and sop. yeah
1: i miss her i know at homely house the homely architect lies in harry's post-coital embrace and asks if he loves her oh god harry says he wouldn't be there if he didn't he says when she walked into his office he felt that he knew her he didn't think he'd feel that again and, and there she was like daylight through a window you know daylight known for knowing people <laughs> The homely architect sits up and says she's not sure she can do this. She's not what he thinks that she is. Harry asks what she means. The homely architect decides not to tell the truth and says that she's lived on her own for too long. She's selfish and difficult. Uh, Harry says it doesn't matter as long as she feels the same about him as he does about her. Also, he's selfish and difficult. This is a bad match. Yeah, Uh, One
0: per couple.
1: She says, do you? You've never said it. He says that. Oh, I'm sorry. He says that, look, nobody cares what actually is said here because it's <laughs> stupid. The homely architect says she loves him more than anything. And I'm like, you are operating under a false set of pretenses.
0: Yep. So Harry walks into Selfridge's and George gives a whistle. Harry greets at people as everybody gathers around and Harry asks what's up. Crab says that news has traveled about a certain engagement and they're all thrilled to bits. Uh, so there's general applause. Is this a thing that happens in workplaces? No,
1: man. Yeah, I didn't
0: think so like, either.
1: You're lucky if you get a baby shower.
0: Yeah, like, maybe if he had had a baby, there would have been, like, that would have been a, of a I don't know. And plus, like,
1: clearly this was supposed to be a secret, and it's not, uh
0: Yeah. Anyway, Martle and Connie throw down improvised confetti as Crab leads some cheers, and then Crab tells everybody to get back to work as Grove and Martle look at each other.
1: Upstairs, Plunkett walks down the hall with Harry saying that WizWaz is in his office and the heads of department meeting has been moved up and she'd like to say congratulations. Harry thanks her and walks into his office and says so much for my secret engagement to <laughs> WizWaz. I mean, it's just a miracle that WizWaz wasn't the one that spilled the beans. Yeah, to everybody. that's
0: true. Well, because Wiz- she's a, you know, capable, uh, you know, liar.
1: Yeah, we just thought she was uh, Chekhov's WizWaz. <laughs> Wizwaz puts a paper on his desk and he asks what it is and she says it's a list of Gerard's previous jobs. It says he trained 20 years ago and has done dozens of jobs, but that's not possible because he is too young. She says she saw him at a jeweler's shop being called by a different name. So she went to ribba. Is it ribba or Friba?
0: Uh, it's Ribba because he was a fellow uh-huh. of the Royal okay. Institute of British Architects. Yeah. She says that
1: she told the homely architect and she seemed confident in Gerard, but Wizwas was not sure. Harry supposes she might not have checked his references, but she's got a lot to be getting on with. But I kind of think checking the references of your architect should You're be a- one of the main things.
0: You're apparently sole employee. Yeah.
1: Wizwas says, of course, and I hope she did the right thing in bringing this to Harry. Which, you know... This might be the first thing WizWaz has done that I actually approve of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well done, WizWaz. In fashion, some middle-aged women shoplift from a station manned by somebody that we don't know. And meanwhile, Haircut is shopping with Connie, or, you know, is being uh, served by Connie. She says she's looking for something classy and distinctive.
1: I would watch an entire spin-off series that's just haircut shopping. <laughs>
0: Connie recommends something beaded. A haircut likes it and shows it to Fat Thomas, who says that Prince Carol won't know what hit him. Connie says that one of their mannequins can model it for her. I
1: would imagine that we, one of those two stage actresses that hit Prince Carol once they see him ogling <laughs> another woman. Because it's like, in that situation, I feel like you're willing to put up with one other woman being around, and, you know, dealing with the inevitable awkwardness at the end of the <laughs> night. Like, so, like, is it one of us? Is it both of us? Like, what? No. Uh, and then if this lady's in the mix,
0: Look out. Yeah. well,
1: She's got a lot of wigs, y'all.
0: You know whose problem that isn't? Haircuts. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but Connie then sees the shoplifters shoplifting a fur, not particularly skillfully. They
1: must have gone to the same school of scammery as the homie <laughs> architected Gerard.
0: Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, George was onto them. I know. <laughs> Uh, so Connie excuses herself and goes over to some women who are in fact the in-store security but
1: not the homely porter yep
0: boo agreed so a chase ensues George tries to stop them on the stairs but gets punched in the face by a 50 year old woman and falls to the ground head of security everybody head of security (laughs) so the chase goes on without him
1: in Crab's office, Mr. Crab reads Miss Martle's resignation in disbelief and tells Mr. Grove that she's the heart of the store, the best head of department, the finest manager. He stops and looks at Mr. Grove and says, This is your doing. Mm-hmm. I love it when Mr. Crab gets mad at Mr. Grove so much. Yeah. Mr. Grove says that he tried to dissuade her, but she wouldn't listen. And then Crab flips out. Yeah. Heretofore, unseen levels of crabness. Absolutely. He says that he should knock Mr Grove's head against the wall, and he would if he thought it would help. He says he behaved horribly to Miss Martle in the last few months. Mr Grove says he's aware that his behavior has been less than exemplary, but there are things Crab doesn't know. And Crab says he knows all about Doris, that she was unfaithful, etcetera. Uh-huh. Mr Grove says he can't bear to think about it, but mister Crab says that he has to, because he's taken his anger out on the wrong person, and if he doesn't do something, he'll lose his greatest friend and will regret it the rest of his life. And Grove is like, oh shit. (laughs) yeah uh i'm gonna just don't act on this mr grove let her go yeah she has tried to leave so many fucking times yeah she is trying to go and make her own life and do her own thing and every time she does she gets sucked back in because of that stupid ginger snap
0: i know and he says that she's a shadow i mean he's a fucking anchor on her he
1: is he's awful
0: yeah so on that staircase, George mops up blood from his nose as Connie says she would never have thought those shoplifters were wrongins. Haircut says now she knows why George doesn't want to come back to the club. It's all go here.
1: <laughs> oh, haircut. <laughs> yes. Come to a cocktail party at my house. We'll have <laughs> such fun.
0: You're definitely invited. She says George should get his nose seen to, but George says it's fine. And Fat Thomas says that he's had much worse. Fat Thomas says they have to... <laughs> I remember when we ran into that group of 50-year-old women at the front. They beat the crap out of him. <laughs> So Fat Thomas says they have to go, but to drop in the club anytime and to bring Connie on him. So they take their leave, and Connie says, well, the famous Mr. Calliano," while swinging her shoulders back and forth. George supposes that she wants to go to the club now, but she says it's not her kind of place. George asks, what is her kind of place? She says the Palais de Danse at Hammersmith, uh, which uh, was uh, lasted until, I believe, the 80s before finally shutting down. Okay. George asks if she'd fancy going tonight, and Connie asks if George can dance. George's nose is still bleeding, by the way, uh, but he says, "Let me take you. You'll find out."
1: It's like kind of cute, but also your nose is bleeding. Right,
0: that kind of <laughs> spoiled like, the effect. Haircut a bit. told you
1: to get it seen too.
0: Yeah, like you may have seen worse, but I'm not sure you've seen worse than a haircut has seen.
1: Yeah, uh, that guy almost died that time. Yeah. <laughs> In Harry's office, Nunu Gordon enters and asks if he can talk. Harry tells him that there will be press at the Selfridge site and he needs Nunu Gordon there and his sisters too. He opens the door to Plunkett's office but Nunu Gordon steps in and closes the door saying so he needs to tell Harry something. He says he's courting fake Doris and Harry turns on a dime and says, you're what? Yeah. Nunu Gordon says he's been trying to tell him and he says that Harry has said that Rose made him the person that he is and that's how he feels about fake Doris. She's his friend and he loves her. Harry quite forcefully says he can't have a relationship with her because he is her employer. Yes. Nunu Gordon says he doesn't care that she's staff, and Harry says other people will. Nunu Gordon says that times have changed, but Harry says they haven't changed that much. Mm -hmm. He says if Nunu Gordon wants to be a leader, he has to hold himself apart from the people that he leads. Nunu Gordon says that he started in the loading dock. He's never held himself apart, but Harry interrupts to say he blames himself, and he hasn't given Nunu Gordon the guidance he needs. Yeah, look, I'm not going to argue with that. Right. Nunu Gordon says it isn't about Harry. It's about him and how he feels about fake Doris. But Harry says that Nunu Gordon is deputy manager and he has to put his feelings aside. He says he's sorry, but if he wants to stay at the store, he has to break up with fake Doris. Uh, So Nunu Gordon definitely going to take the complete wrong message away from that, right? Yeah. Definitely going to quit his job to go date someone who doesn't have money. Right. Like. So brilliant. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. God. Grow probably will end up as store deputy
1: great Ugh.
0: uh but yeah b- uh, so we were wondering all along how harry would react to this and we found out and it was the correct way
1: it was the correct way
0: so that's really
1: i never really expected him yeah i mean to. i didn't
0: particularly but i wasn't sure i wasn't yeah. sure you know
1: you never well, know you thought maybe he would be more charitable about like sowing his wild oats or whatever well that's true but yeah you know he was not yeah. as it turned out So that means he has at least a modicum of self-awareness yeah. in terms of, like, knowing that perhaps an endless (laughs) parade of floozies is no way to live a life.
0: (laughs) At Selfridge House, Violette stands in front of the horrifying portraits of Beatrice and...
1: Rosalie, Rosalie maybe, think? possibly Rosalie. Yeah, but uh, there's no way of knowing. Yeah, this portrait. There's also... no earthly way of knowing. What? Just use portrait. <laughs> it is glowing. Uh,
0: it's not glowing, but it might as well be. Yeah, like horrifying. Yeah, who,
1: who is the fucking art director on this show? What the fuck is this? I don't know. I don't like. You could hire like Thomas Kincaid.
0: It's like, well, we need some portraits of of the children for the room here. And Eyeliner was like, you know, I'm quite a good portraitist myself. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah.
1: It's like how James Cameron insisted on doing the <laughs> picture of Rose in Titanic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Violette asks Rosalie why Pa can marry whoever he wants, but she can. Rosalie says that Pa loves the homely architect, and Violette says that she loves Fat Thomas. Disagree. hmm You don't. <laughs> Rosalie says it seemed like Violette was using Fat Thomas as some kind of rebellion.
1: Correct. <laughs> Loath as I am to agree with anything Rosalie says. sure. Violette
0: says maybe at first, but she fell in love, and she says that she gave herself to Fat Thomas. All of herself. Specifically her vagina. Which, did
1: you honestly think anybody didn't know that already?
0: Right. Like, were, that's why
1: they've been talking about your ruined reputation. You
0: were arrested in a compromising position. <laughs> like They're aware. Yeah. Rosalie looks up from the flowers she is poking at aimlessly, and Violette says that it wasn't just a romance. Rosalie says that if she's learned anything from her marriage, it's to fight for the person you love. But, she adds, it's not certain that she has learned anything from her marriage. So (laughs) That's
1: true. (laughs) No, and it's like, God, the Selfridge children are all about learning the wrong lesson from everything. Yeah. Oh, my God, you guys. Yeah. I don't even know how I'm going to be able to deal with this. I mean, I'll deal with it. Well, yeah, just this scene is okay. All right, but it still makes me angry. We know because, where this is going. Well, and because I f- still think his behavior is absolutely abominable. Agreed. <laughs> Mr. Grove arrives at Martle House and rings the bell. Miss Martle opens the door and Mr. Grove asks why the house is for sale. Miss Martle asks him in. First mistake. Yeah. Let the right one in, Miss Martle, and it ain't <laughs> Grove. <laughs> In the foyer, Martle says that she's made her decision and she's leaving London as well as Selfridge's. Mr. Gross says, oh no, you mustn't. Not because of me. I behave badly and I took all my misery about Doris out on you. None of it was your fault. Blah, blah, blah. And Miss Martle interrupts to say a convenient target. Mr. Grove says he wouldn't put it quite like that, but Martle says she would. She says that's all she's ever been. Someone to rely on, moan to, to sleep with, and she's put up f- with it for all these years, stupidly. Mr. Grove says it's possible that he maybe might have just taken advantage of her, and if so
0: If so if so,
1: he's so sorry. Miss Myrtle says that he's a petty, selfish little man who knows nothing of friendship, loyalty, or love. All true. She says that she doesn't need him anymore and tells him to go away. Mr Grove says Josie but Miss Martle says she means it. He says he can't leave her like this. He might never see her again and Miss Martle says very probably. Yeah. Mr Grove says at least they have to part friends and Miss Myrtle says if she did it would be a lie. Mr Grove asks what he'll do without her and Miss Myrtle says oh i don't know muddle through i suppose i don't care anymore which is awesome. Yes. This is great. We're very Stick excited at this
0: moment. Do this. Yeah.
1: Do this thing. Leave. Mm. Go find another Belgian. <laughs> yeah. So there's a pause. Miss Martle says to please leave and shut the door on his way out. She goes into the next room. Mr. Grove walks to leave. But then the motherfucker comes back! He comes back and he says it's ridiculous and impossible. He won't leave until they part friends and then he sits down in an uncomfortable chair and Miss Martle says it's going to be an awfully long night and heads upstairs. Once again, classic example, straight white male respecting people's boundaries, realizing there are things that perhaps he can't have. No. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Right. Wrong not, show. Not a great example of that. This isn't called a midwife.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like Martel, call the police. You've got a trespasser. You do. Like-
1: but listen, let's not diminish the fact that she finally really, like, seriously told him off.
0: Yeah. And I mean, God knows what the police were like at the time. Uh, excuse me, ma'am, have you ever had sexual intercourse with this man? Uh, then he's allowed to. Or in your home. any
1: man. <laughs> right.
0: And, then, unfortunately. Oh, you
1: can't... well, uh, then you're a camp follower, ain't ya?
0: Under the uh, Defense of the Realm Act, you can't own property.
1: <laughs> <laughs> However, I am a licensed veterinary. <laughs> How much cocaine would you like?
0: Quite a lot, I'm afraid. <laughs>
1: Oh, you do a nice model there, babe. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: In Harry's office, Harry's meeting with the homely architect and Gerard. asks Gerard if he's been to the site and is happy with the excavation plans. And Gerard says, yes. The ground's damp, but they've made provision. And then he is like, Phew, I remembered my line. Uh, Harry says that Gerard has experience with that since he worked on the Fortescue estate and he believes that there's a lake there. Gerard nods nervously. Do you
1: think the Fortescue's ever have a barbecue? (laughs) They'd better. I know.
0: (laughs) Harry asks him what he designed for Lord Fortescue and Gerard says that he can't remember. Harry says that it must remember because it was only last year. So Gerard flounders and flops sweats and guesses that he built a palm house. But Harry says that he built a ballroom. Then he says, "Well, Mister Tom Gerard did anyway. I was just speaking to him on the telephone, so uh, Gerard, or perhaps we should call him Painton now."
1: Let's stick with Gerard; it's less confusing. That's
0: probably true
1: for the you know ten minutes that's <laughs> left in this.
0: Yeah, uh, he stands up and he says that he was desperate; he couldn't get a job. But Harry says that there are servicemen's lives on the line, and for what—an architect's fee? The doors open behind Gerard, and police come through and grab him and drag him off. Harry says that Gerard is a despicable liar. Gerard says that his friends will help him, and it's not just him, he says pointedly towards the Homely Architect. Uh, The Homely Architect tells Harry that she can't believe it. Harry says that she wasn't to know. He tricked them both. God, I can't stand a cheat.
1: Well, their relationship is certainly going to survive whatever ups and downs are coming toward them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Homely Architect. This is definitely working out. Stick with the plan.
1: In the Homely Architect's office, George reports to Harry and Wizwaz that they think Gerard might be Augustus Paynton, who's been linked to frauds up and down the country. So why is he still free anyway? Well but they're not sure because he usually works with his sister pretty girl the police say reckon she's the brains well then it can't be the homely architect this has all been a ridiculous frame up he asks if Gerard introduced a young lady to Harry Harry says no George says then it might not be him and if he hears anything else Harry will be the first to know
0: head of security
1: George heads out and Wizwaz says she'll leave Harry to his affairs. Uh, so she was there because why? <laughs> Not at all Just, clear. She was like, oh, hello, Harry. I'd like <laughs> to sit in your office <laughs> and look at this terrible painting of your wife.
0: <laughs> at a bank, some old banker asks the homely architect if she's sure she wants to withdraw the whole amount. Homely architect says her contractors have been patient, but she owes them money and the building materials are on hold and she's beginning to have sleepless nights. The banker says they wouldn't want that, so he'll arrange it. And there was a, I mean, one of the few moments where we see signs of her grifting abilities is here. Is here. Because she does like a little flirty thing. She talks about sleepless nights, wink, wink, Mm -hmm. that's vaguely related to sex. And the banker's like, this is the closest I've come to getting laid in years. (laughs) So he stands up and the homely architect thanks him so much.
1: At homely house, Harry walks in calling for Nancy and sees an empty bed
0: This is a bunch of quick shots here.
1: Uh, Then we see the homely architect walking away from the bank. Harry sees the perfume he bought her still in her house. Yeah. Because everything's gone. Yeah. The homely architect calls for a taxi and gets in. Harry rides in a car looking troubled and the homely architect is doing the same thing. They have so much in common. (laughs) Uh, Harry gets out at the Selfridge Field, which has plenty of surveyor stakes, but no homely architect. And homely architect is still nervous. Harry gets back in his car and it pulls off. So, Harry clearly is now feeling suspicious, and then, if you were suspicious, why would you go to the place where she can't build anything, because she's not really an architect? <laughs> right. Uh, it's hard-
0: Well, I guess- I don't know. I guess that's the one place she could be if there was still some kind of, like, excuse. That's true. Yeah. It's night, and Grove is still sitting in Martle House. Boo! Martle turns off some lights, says that she's going to bed. Grove says that he'll still be there in the morning- Martle says that he thinks he can wear down, but he can't, but he grabs her arm and says that he knows that he's a fool, but he won't give up on their friendship. He says if she forgives him, he will try to be what she has always been to him, his better half, the most important person in his life, his soul's mate. Gross. He says to not let this be the end. Martle says that he is really the most obstinate, yep. ridiculous, Hell yep. glory of a man. No.
1: No 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 it's pretty sad no man no why are they doing this to us
0: it's uh i don't know she was
1: out she was she was out she was oh my god i'm so angry i know he i like a bad boy as much as the next person right but a bad boy eventually falls in line and submits to your will Right. <laughs> His, this well, is a bad even, man. No, he's, he's a not, bad man. He's calcified in his ways. Again, as I have said previously, I am sure, I am sure now that they're going to get married and he's going to make her raise his brood of little gingelets.
0: Yeah, which she has made it clear she has discovered no aptitude for.
1: I just, I hate this. Yeah, I hate That this has to be this ending. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. It's
0: very ridiculous.
1: Like, he is a bad person.
0: He is. (sighs) So Grove kisses her arm, calls her his heart's love. He stands up and says he doesn't deserve her at all. And they embrace. And Martel says that he really doesn't.
1: But she doesn't mean it clearly because she is not kicking him in the balls currently.
0: Right. (sighs) You know.
1: I'm so... I'm more upset about this than I even thought. Yeah. Well, because it's like... Why does there have to be a happy ending? Right. I mean, and this isn't even a happy ending. It's only a happy ending for one of them. Right. And it's just well, so... look, I, for, I was would Was it say, this that we were talking about yesterday about how, like, happy endings or, like, tying up loose ends like this is, like, a patriarchal, like, weapon? Yeah. Because there is no reason that these two couldn't go their separate ways and just have their lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And... Uh, no we were actually talking about it in reference to new new gordon and fake doris oh
0: yeah yeah which yeah. is just
1: as insidious right right but it's like sometimes relationships don't work yeah and sometimes you know, what, people are garbage
0: right i mean what i would say is you say it's only a happy ending for one of them martel clearly seems happy and the you know the one thing i'll say is she was with the guy for 20 years yeah and you know i think clearly there's a part of her that just doesn't I mean, she could say to herself, and it would be accurate, that she's never going to have a relationship that long again, p- quite possibly. Yeah. You know, that she's never, you know, she can't meet anybody that she has that history with. Yeah. That's, you I know, understand I'm just making no, the best I case I can. You're
1: saying. I'm just saying we have never once seen this well, man right. do a single altruistic thing. Yeah. We've never once seen him do anything nice for her. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting very emotional about well, that's
0: And that's the fine. only
1: time that I personally recall seeing him do anything kind for her was that time back in series one where she got tickets to go see that play. He said he couldn't get away the night that they mm-hmm. had, you know, set up as an ongoing night to see her and he only wound up coming after they couldn't use the tickets and he brought her those violet creams. Right. Their entire relationship is just her doing shit for him and him only lifting a finger when he is worried he might lose her. Yeah. Which is exactly which is how exactly this is played what's happening out. happening
0: here. Yeah. So and it's, Yeah.
1: Uh, it's not a healthy relationship I'm not saying every relationship on television Needs to be prescriptive Right But this one in particular really bothers me Yeah I just, I don't know yeah. Miss Martle's so great And he is so very shitty Yeah He's extraordinarily shitty He is He's not gonna stop being shitty I,
0: what That's
1: not what That's not how that, people I know, work I know I know not how people work <laughs> He's just so shitty Yeah Yeah
0: So, that's what they did
1: in happier news <laughs> Yes At Caliano's uh, Oh wait no Not happier Well kind of No this one's fine In moderate news <laughs> uh, People are cleaning up And Fat Thomas is telling Haircut That tonight's the big one This is for the uh, Romanian Prince right. Count What is his Prince dude? Okay yeah. uh, When Violette walks in And asks if she can talk to Fat Thomas Fat Thomas says Lads And the lads head off As does Haircut Once Fat Thomas gives her a look She's Haircut's like I know lad Yeah uh, we were a bit perturbed initially because we were like, you have an office. But then we're like, oh, didn't they bang in there? Like, yeah. you don't want to, like precedent yeah
0: you know yeah when your ex-girlfriend comes to try to get you back you don't take her into the bedroom
1: no <laughs> <laughs> fat thomas sits down with violette and she says she hasn't been able to stop thinking of fat thomas she's missed him so much she kisses him uh, which fat thomas allows but then fat thomas says they're too different this is not a world she could ever belong to violette says she could try fat thomas is like her- i know you
0: could try i said you couldn't succeed yeah
1: He takes her hands and says they're beautiful hands and they have never seen a day's work. And Violette says he thinks she's spoiled and it's true. She's been given so much, just not the things she's always wanted.
0: Well, food and shelter, you always wanted those.
1: Well, but she doesn't think that. (laughs) She says she can change and become a better person for Fat Thomas and to please just give her this chance. Fat Thomas says sorry, but no. Violette sheds a tear as Fat Thomas gets up and walks away she asks if it's his last word and there is zero reply because he kept walking Mm -hmm. take a note martle (laughs) Uh, she gets up and walks out saying she hates who she is but fat thomas grabs her arm and says not to say that she's wonderful and some man is going to be lucky to have her and like yes but like also like pro tip people breaking up with other people the person you've just broken up with doesn't want to hear that from you well Like, they might want to hear that from their friends, but they don't want to hear it from you. Well,
0: you know, Fat Thomas doesn't realize that.
1: Well, he's a dumbass, <laughs> as we've established this. Se- no, but, you, you know, what? honestly, he's done a really bang up job he has. This, se- this season.
0: Well, I mean, he, you know, stood by his decision to break up with her. Yeah. Which is more than most and people And he's, can you
1: know, say. got a pretty successful thing going finally. It yeah. took a long time, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. getting there.
0: In Shopgirl Alley, Fake Doris arrives home to find Nunu Gordon sitting on her steps. He asks if they can talk. So in some park, Fake Doris says that she knew Harry wouldn't accept it, and she understands, but it's just hard. Nunu Gordon says that it's not hard, because he's made his decision. He's leaving the store. Fake Doris says he can't, and is correct. Uh, But Nunu Gordon says he can do what he likes. He's tired of living in Harry's shadow. He's his own person who makes his own terrible choices. (laughs) And he chooses fake Doris. No,
1: and also, oh great, you're gonna leave your job. Well, I guess you'll just keep drawing your allowance or whatever. I would
0: imagine so, yeah. So they kiss the kiss of the doomed. Ugh, this is terrible. Yeah.
1: Harry walks through a deserted information bureau and onto the shop floor, but pulls up short when he sees the homely architect standing there with the money bag. She got in how? (laughs) Where's your precious head of security? Out tripping the light fantastic with Connie Hawkins?
0: <laughs> well, I just gave everybody a key. I thought it would be easier that way.
1: <laughs> they all work it. <laughs> He says to tell him this isn't true. The homely architect says she didn't take the money. Harry says she was going to. The homely architect says that when Gus was arrested, she panicked, but she just couldn't leave Harry. Harry says he thought they were right for each other and that he knew her. He asks if any of it was real. The homely architect says, of course it was. She broke all of her rules and risked everything to come there, which is what every con person says when they get caught. Right. She says that Harry has changed her and she can't go back to the woman she was. Harry asks who that woman was to tell him she owes him that. Oh, she, great.
0: So finally, with seven minutes to go in the We're getting your
1: backstory. She says her real name is Emily Paynton and she and her brother ran away from home... Uh, she and her brother ran away from their parents when they were 13 uh, they had nothing and they had to live on their wits so they became grifters.
0: <laughs> it was so funny hearing her actually yeah. say it
1: she says she's always hated it and wanted it to stop and when they saw about the government funded housing they knew it was an opportunity uh, curious why you ran away from your parents like were they dicks
0: right I were mean were was you, it a drunk and situation I don't know. yeah
1: uh, Harry says to lead some idiot by the nose and the homie architect says it was never meant to be Harry. It was meant to be Lord Meadows,
0: which actually does make more sense when she says that. So I was like, okay, there's, I can see how they got into it now. Yeah.
1: Harry asks if he was meant to fall in love with her too, because he fell so hard. Homely architect says that none of that was part of the plan. He has to believe her. But the homely architect says that Harry said last night there's something special between them. Neither of them can deny that. The homely architect says they can still build the estate. They can do it together. She says she she says he hates to be alone. He needs a wife and he goes in for a kiss. But Harry pulls back and says, wife?
0: Yeah, she went in for that kiss, mm-hmm. like, way too soon. Yeah.
1: She says she's still the same person underneath. But Harry says he can't believe he ever thought he... But Harry says he can't believe he ever thought he could replace Rose. Uh, Maybe you shouldn't think of it in those terms regardless. Yeah, but but
0: let's just get through this.
1: (laughs) The homely architect asks for one more chance, but Harry says, this is like my favorite thing that's ever happened Mm -hmm. on this show. Harry says he doesn't care about her anymore. She's not who he thought she was. She's a cheat, a liar, a stranger. Yeah. Harry says he's go- not going to call the police, but he never wants to see her again. Crawl back under your stone. And it's the coldest shit. Yeah. And everybody, if you tell anyone you watch this show and they try to make fun of Jeremy Piven, punch them in the nose. <laughs> Jeremy Piven is yeah. great.
0: Punch them in the nose like you're a 50-year-old woman punching George Taylor. Yeah.
1: Like, come on. Yeah. This no, is re- amazing. Re- yeah. This is He's really so good. great in this role. Jeremy Piven is amazing when he gets to do the things that Jeremy Piven is good at. Yeah. Which is everything anybody's ever put Jeremy Piven in. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're just very upset about the Jeremy Piven hate, which is on the rise because of Entourage, the movie.
0: Right. Which we're going to see. <laughs> and don't like – like you can hate Entourage all day long up yeah. and down. Like please do. Do it. Yeah. yeah. But it's... that doesn't mean that, yeah. Jeremy Piven is a separate entity. Yeah. Anyway,
1: and he's the reason everybody loved it in the first mm-hmm. couple seasons, mm-hmm. and that it was still tolerable as it continued. Oh, what do you think? It was
0: the Titanic charisma of Adrian Grenier?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> So Harry walks off and the homely architect says, but I love you. (laughs) Harry says she doesn't know what the word means. And the homely architect says she didn't before, but she does now. But Harry says to get out of his store before he throws her out. She stops on her way out and tells Harry he's vulnerable to women. He always will be. And he's lucky it was her. And I'm like, like, not really. Yeah. Like. You he's were going to fuck him over the same way any... No, but are you just admitting that you're a bad con artist? Because then that's fine. Yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah. No, I mean, he's lucky, you know, WizWaz got suspicious. Mm-hmm. That's what he's lucky that about. He is
1: lucky. Man, yeah. who would have thought we would have been happy that WizWaz did anything? I know. I still can't believe we call her WizWaz. <laughs> uh, it's fun.
0: At Lizard Club, Loxley tells some guy that if he buys their shares, him and Muggle too, uh that he will have 15% of the store. He says the family will the guy says that the family will still have the majority, but Loxley says that while the family is loyal for now, the cracks are showing and Harry has his own weaknesses. And so if this guy's client wants control of the company, he'll just have to wait. They stand up and shake hands. The guy heads out and Muggle 2 says, Well done, Loxley. So
1: we're not done with this?
0: And Loxley says, <gasps> <laughs>
1: um,
0: Well, I mean, I think I think that what this is setting up is an entirely new antagonist for next season. Whoever this guy's client is, mm-hmm. is somebody unrelated. And it was probably a business competitor of some kind or something yeah. like that who will have, you know, non-personal reasons.
1: Still gunning for bankruptcy. <laughs> It could happen. At Selfridge House, Harry sits holding a glass of whiskey, we must assume. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not apple juice or something <laughs> innocuous that makes sense. Right. He's holding it to his forehead. Violet comes in and says that it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic, that they're a pathetic bunch that can't get anyone to love them. Oh, God. Uh, I go
0: know. write in your diary. Also,
1: how did she find out? Uh, yeah, I don't know. She says she's still in love with Fat Thomas, and she doesn't think she'll ever get over him. Harry says if she feels that way, she should go to him, which is... Not the tune you've been singing the whole time. Well, he's drunk. Well, <laughs> she says she tried and he doesn't want her. She says that Sibby does want her, so she's going to go to Paris to await his proposal. Which, did he say that?
0: Right. Can't Can't you just await his proposal like in Yeah, London? he has a
1: plane. Right. <laughs> Make him come to you.
0: He has, he's building more planes. Although
1: I will say, there is something to be said for like changing your surroundings. Well, If yeah, you're yeah. like heartbroken. Sure. Harry says that she doesn't even know Sibby, but Violette says she can't stay in London and she doesn't want to see Fat Thomas ever again.
0: And he runs the city's only nightclub, so it's going to be tough to avoid him. Indeed.
1: Yeah. Harry goes and hugs Violette and suggests that they go away together around the world as she likes and they'll get over it together and have adventures. Violette says it would have been fun, but it's too late for that. She's going to marry Sibby. He's a nice man and she could grow to like him, even love him, and most importantly, he's her sort. So she did at least learn the correct lesson from Fat Thomas. Yeah.
0: Which is good, good for her. Yeah.
1: The first time she's <laughs> learned a lesson from anything. <laughs> Harry tells her not to go, but she says she's made up her mind and she leaves for Paris that night. Harry says not to do this, but Violette brushes a tear off her face and heads off.
0: Off of ha- Harry's face.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. I missed that pronoun.
0: Mm-hmm. At Caliano's, Prince Carol is there and he announces that he's in again. 2000 for him and the ladies as well. Fat Thomas shows Regan the check and says happy, and Regan says to keep up the good work, and Haircut smiles. Regan walks out, passing Harry, who's walking in to the sound of electric guitar music?
1: This is... All right. It's going to get weird, kids.
0: Yeah. So Fat Thomas asks what he can do for him, and Harry says he wants to play some cards. He asks who's there. Fat Thomas says Prince Carol of Romania and the Dolly Sisters, musical cabaret stars. Harry's like, now you are singing my tune. Harry goes up and asks if he can join them, and Carol nods, and one of the Dolly sisters asks who he is. He says he's Harry Selfridge. She asks if he's ready to take them on. Harry hands over a check, and oh my god, like the dramatic rock music, kicks in full force. And there's this whole stylish montage of Harry putting in chips and picking up cards, and it ends with Harry lighting a cigar and the smoke fading to white. And it is as if they're trying to help us out by segueing this perfectly into the show Peaky Blinders. Like, it's yeah, insane. Yeah, that's true.
1: It's exactly <laughs> the same style, the exact same anachronistic music, and it functions pretty well as like a commercial for Entourage, the movie. <laughs> that's true. I feel like his agent was like, all right, he'll do series three, but you gotta make some weird thing happen that makes people think about Entourage. <laughs> and Eyeliner was like, that's very difficult, but I believe we can do it. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I had to say it was weird and out of nowhere but
1: i i liked it you know i like seeing jeremy piven look cool yeah i like seeing it
0: and he looked cool as hell and he was like you know what uh time to go on a gambling spree it's what i love
1: it is what he loves but i mean again bankruptcy man i think he's i think he's barreling toward it yeah i don't know what can possibly just that family's in a shambles man
0: they are in a shambles
1: they're in a real shambles
0: Yeah, I mean, it was always, you know, he didn't get all his money stolen, which was how it was looking for a while. Yeah. So there's that. So
1: he's definitely ahead of Lord Grantham. (laughs) Right. In the patriarchal (laughs) finance uh, Olympics. (laughs) No, but I mean, you you know, Rosalie's married to an idiot slash (laughs) cad who seems to be tamed at this point. His mother-in-law is a grifter. Right. Ma... Has apparently had a stroke.
0: (laughs) And nobody's diagnosed it yet.
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, Violette is off to go mope around Paris until this guy like puts her in a plane or something. (laughs) Gordon is off of his fucking nuts, Which Harry
0: doesn't even know yet.
1: You know what? I hope Series 4 is just uh, Beatrice (laughs) laying down some of her dark magic and getting shit running again. Yeah, Yeah. I think
0: that sounds good.
1: S-O-S, Beatrice. S-O-S. <laughs> yeah. Save our Satan. Yeah. So, But
0: I mean, I think we will have... <laughs> I think we will have... Like I say, I think we'll have a new antagonist that's this mysterious person. Mm-hmm. Lady May will be back, we know. Oh,
1: thank God. Yeah. So yeah. that
0: is super exciting.
1: Yeah. What did you think of the whole season? Because I know I, the, the sort of general consensus from you customers has been that you don't like it. Right. Which... I, I, if you were saying that, having seen the whole thing, I'm definitely a lot more understanding. Right. But like, I didn't hate it. Like the things that I hated were things like the homely architect being such a bad con person. Right. And like, you know, spending time with Mr. Grove is never pleasant.
0: Sure. But I just feel, I don't feel like much was wasted in terms of like pointless storylines that went nowhere. Yeah, Like that didn't happen much, which is a pleasant change.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whatever could you be referring to, Tom? Right.
0: So I would, you know, I I would say I liked it overall. Of like, it's this last two-hour finale, kind of like some of the things that had been set up all season, kind of fell on their face. Yeah. As far as we're concerned, and no
1: homely porter. So right. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Is it homely porter? The Artful Porter. Oh, you're right. I think we just said homely the entire time. We might episode. have. There's too many homely people. Yeah. We. Well, the Artful Porter.
0: Well, now that the homely architect is out of the picture, you know. Yeah, things we should can, go back to normal. We can retire that.
1: Yeah, no more homely people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> a message from Hollywood's producers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. We watched it. We did. Uh, I liked it. I had I liked, a good time.
0: Oh, I did too. And I mean, I, I think I liked it. So much the first two thirds of the season say, Mm -hmm. and that's fine. You know that's television for you. It doesn't always things don't always wrap up, but that's they don't always
1: stick the landing.
0: It's as much about the journey as the destination. Yeah, I mean that's what you're spending your time.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what this entire podcast is predicated on. Well, that's right. So I would hope so. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, then let's uh, dive into our last edition of the Selfridge Awards, aka the selfies. First up, we have the Nailing It Award, and
0: that one goes to Fat Thomas. Fat
1: Thomas, you were a doughboy with a dream. You came back, you fought through, you made it happen. Yeah. Although I will say his club is now far less racially integrated now that he is catering oh, to this demographic, which is a bummer.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, but.
0: But it's up and he running. He kept
1: it open yeah. and, uh, you know.
0: He's he's made his place in the uh, Demi Mond criminal underground. Indeed. Next we have the Stick Poke Award. So
1: this is actually, I think, a tie. Okay. Between Plunkett... Suddenly revealing herself as this hopeless romantic right? spinster <laughs> right. and Lord Loxley just losing his mind <laughs> about Lady May getting remarried.
0: Yeah. I mean the fact that she is, we didn't think we'd get a reference like that. Yeah. And the fact that he <laughs> he hurled his tie to the floor. Oh my god. Yeah.
1: It's just not it's not a way to behave, Loxley. No. Next up, we have the window-worthy award.
0: And we will give that to that final uh, gambling montage.
1: Yeah, man, we like that gambling montage. Big improvement over the wooden car falling down the stairs. Very much so, yes.
0: And finally, we have the eyeliner scale of eyeliner.
1: So we're giving this divided between the two episodes because the the ninth episode we did not like. We
0: were very unhappy We gave it a crayon
1: rating Yeah, because it was just so sloppily handled in so many ways. But we were We're happy with the way that some of the things rebounded in episode ten, so we upgraded that to pencil, yeah, but you we know. haven't visited, revisited the liquid glory days of you know no. last and episode or whatever you know,
0: i mean anything where Martle gets bit together with grove couldn't possibly yeah
1: we couldn't yeah. possibly approve of that so. but fat
0: thomas did indeed shut violette down permanently which yeah. was nice uh the homely architect thing resolved itself pretty well mm-hmm. i mean when you look at the overall you know that one did stick the landing reasonably well mm-hmm. given the inherent problems of her I crappy mean that scene of
1: him telling her off is one of the better scenes yeah you know it was yeah. really great it was yeah, so uh, that's another season of Mr. Selfridge.
0: That's a, a, Yeah, and that's a, a, another podcast that we've done. Yeah. We did it all.
1: We did everything, guys. And so remember, it'll be two weeks and then we'll be back with Family Meeting, a Peaky Binders podcast. So you have a couple of weeks to get... Into Peaky Blinders, see if it's a thing that you enjoy. Spoiler alert, it will be, because it is great. <laughs> yep,
0: it's on Netflix. It's got
1: Sam Neill.
0: <laughs> it does. Oh, God. You guys, you don't understand the way just, in which it has Sam Neill. Oh,
1: my God. Just Sam Neill alone yeah. is worth the price of admission. Yes. Uh, which is just your Netflix subscription. <laughs> right. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't think they've taken it down.
0: Uh, oh, I, I sure hope it's still on there. Yeah, well, we'll
1: <laughs> find out. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that. And uh, we'll see you next time.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll be back with the palm court in about, you know, 44 weeks, I imagine.
1: I think that's it. Yeah. Taught in bouts!